0: Jezebel Wasn't born With a silver spoon In her mouth She probably had Less than every one of us But when she knew How to walk She knew How to bring the down. You can't blame her for her beauty, she wins with her hands down. Jezebel, what a belle, looks like a princess in her new dress. How did you get that?
1: The Combing the Stacks Podcast, your go-to podcast for six decades of music, three albums at a time. Each decade, we cover over 200 albums, spanning all musical genres and tastes, from the well-known acts to the cult favorites. Your tour guides on this journey are John, Josh, and Matt, three amateur music podcasters who all share a love of music and a shared quest to hear the next great album. And now, we head into the stacks. It is the first day of December 2022 and you are listening to the Combing the Stacks Music Podcast, Season 3, Episode 17 of our regular three album episodes. I am John, joined as always by my co-hosts, Matt and Josh, equitable co-hosts along the way. Amateur triad of, co-hosts. A, amateur co-hosts, triad of terror. We're coming off of a one-week break so I guess two weeks in general since you may have last heard uh, but we're gonna come back better than ever we took off for the Thanksgiving week which is I think the first time we ever took off for a holiday we've taken off for various vacations and you know when people get sick we go into two-man shows we have brought guests on at different times but this is the first one where we decided to just have a holiday season uh and yeah I imagine guys it was enjoyable for you Josh Good time to check in? How was yeah, it? How was yeah, your
2: holiday? It, it, was, it was fine. Um. Mm, that was not a ringing <laughs> endorsement. What happened?
1: Oh, you know, like
2: entertaining people is always a little stressful. But you know how I alluded to being having to change my personality and be more upbeat and outgoing last time Did you time say that the on show? the podcast? Or I don't did know. You say but that? Now I'm saying I think it you said now, that off, but yeah. Okay, gotcha. I lived up to my end of the deal. It's, so I did but a good job on that
1: you Sounds brought like your most extroverted, charming version of yourself.
3: Exactly. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You, must people... ex- you must have been exhausted afterwards. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What Josh, you a, say?
1: a firm eye on yes. Myers Briggs right there. But Indeed. if you listen to the podcast, I don't know if you would get that you were a firm eye. I think because of your contemplative approach, Josh. I think there are some that have figured that compared to the fiery timbers of matt and i you know what i mean that you might Mm. be the more steady you know contemplative voice but yeah
2: my radio Mm -hmm. personality is different than my real life personality
1: okay so So it's
2: a little heightened you know a little a little extra maybe i don't know (laughs) like the
1: kids say extra or just more extra in the traditional sense
2: Uh, it's open to interpretation
1: open to okay so it's extra (laughs) and and extra right at the same time (laughs) yeah gotcha a bit more jovial (laughs) Say. <laughs> it is the holidays, so you're full of mirth Indeed. and <laughs> and probably spirits, mm-hmm. <laughs> both both anecdotally and uh, liquid. Yeah. D- yeah, I'm doing
2: radical. Other than that, though, so good radical, good
1: stuff. nice, <laughs> nice, nice use of '85 <laughs> terminology there. Well, a guy who is always on, right? is always a little <laughs> extra. <is>. Matt, <laughs> how are you, Matt? Do you not even awesome. know what extra means? As kids, use extra, or is that? Nope. Okay, gotcha.
3: Like, actually, like more sauce. So, like, if you want extra sauce, you want more than what the normal amount of sauce is. So
1: when like you're extra in the slang thing, right? You're you're just a a lot to handle. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're just you're all the things, right? Like too much, too hot to handle, can. too cold. Sometimes to hold. too much. Yes. Yep. Just like the Ghostbusters, right. but Matt's yeah. in control. So. Um,
3: that mm-hmm. makes sense, I guess. Um, How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. It was good. We hosted. Uh, small hosting activities happened here. Cooked a turkey and Mm. uh, some other
2: side dishes and
3: whatnot. Yeah, I think so. We put it in a bag, like an oven-baked bag, and it just made it extra extra uh <laughs> moist and uh <laughs> oh, okay. when we took it out of the bag it just it just fell off it just total I, I like watched a video on how to properly carve a turkey so i was all set to do it and i didn't need to do it because the turkey every, everything just fell right apart right it fell was right it like the gordon ramsay
1: like yelling at you to do it correctly and just <laughs> saying like no was just, you do a turkey
3: you know just very intense it was a very like yeah it was a very uh serious uh mm-hmm. you know kind of uh a scholar of uh turkey you can't fuck carving. around with turkey,
1: Matt. That's what you know. The, the
3: key. Well, I tried not yeah. to, but mm-hmm. it was a success. We still have a little bit left over, and uh, we're getting through it. But uh, yeah, it was good. So gotcha. Uh, ready to rock. Ready to rock out.
1: Well, and you are a noted holiday enthusiast. I like so the holidays. This well, is, it depends yeah. on the holiday.
3: I'm, I I've always thought that Halloween's a little overrated. That's never been okay. My... Oh, hot take there. Yeah, for some. that's mm-hmm. just that's not my thing. It's, it's good for the kids, but like as an adult, any I other know, holidays I you'd that...
1: like to weigh in on?
3: Well, I, flag I was just day. Say, I, well, flag day is my brother's birthday, so mm, uh, okay. that's, that's more what i Does I'm he have a custom on. flag? Yeah. <laughs> a crest he did, he did just retire from the navy i wonder if they gave him a retirement flag are they supposed to give you flags or something when you retire from when the you navy?
1: die i think right oh shoot i He's still very much alive was. i think yeah so he, he yeah, you that time, Maverick?
2: come on mm-hmm. <laughs>
4: yeah
1: i haven't but thanks for the spoiler right there josh jeez oh man so
2: Well, he didn't die well somebody no, well somebody somebody, just, somebody just dies. yeah I'll, I'll
1: watch it eventually that's <laughs> so. awesome I bet It
2: will be on uh, Paramount Plus, John. So.
3: <laughs> oh, that, yet another be. reason for me to
1: buy that that uh, streaming <laughs> yeah. service. So I can add it, it to be the, that much. the Beavis and Butthead and South Park and Indeed. all the other stuff that I'm missing. So, well, enough of the holiday spirit. We'll have plenty along the way. And probably we'll try to do another one of those holiday montages, Josh. Maybe you and I can get together and spice something together a little mm. bit. We did that before. We'll see. It's, it's a busy time of the year, but... Okay, well, enough of the uh, holiday spirit. We'll have plenty of time for that, as I said before. Josh, why don't you go ahead and uh, run down the albums this week? Because we've got some singing to do on John and Matt Sing the Hits Mm -hmm. and uh, maybe a little bit of history as well.
2: We are firmly in the middle of the decade, 1985, and we are covering Phil Collins' No Jacket Required. Uh, Were Pants
1: Required for Phil Collins. (laughs) Yeah. That's the big question.
2: And uh Shade's promise and then we will be finishing off with Steve McQueen
1: by Prefab Sprout is um Phil Collins no jacket required um The Cousin of Blink-182's Take Off, take your, off pants. your Pants and Jacket? <laughs> yeah. Or is <laughs> it different? That's
2: a double album listening experience like no other.
1: It is. It seems like they're cousins, of course. Phil Collins looks a lot more serious on his than I think Blink-182 was going for. But yes, I for whatever reason, I combine those two album titles despite they... They're sharing very little in common, but yeah. <laughs> there,
3: is, and there is a story behind the title of that album that oh, I'm happy to share when it comes. That's known as for... an
1: accidental t- teaser right there. So oh, yeah. there you go. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you'll have to wait for segment two for that story from Matt. But um, yeah, let's do some history. Matt, All what right. do we got? Yeah. Such is
4: a history of where someone
3: has been killed. All right fellas so this day in music history night this is uh 1967 55 years ago the Jimi hendrix experience released their second studio album axis bold as love which was an album that we had covered way we back have, two decades ago mm-hmm. didn't we um,
1: agree that it has to be axis bold as love because of the <laughs> yeah colon? it's
3: weird because it's the mm-hmm. colon that's after axis so i never learned in you know elementary school how to how to emphasize that or how it's do you it's a full do stop it? matt that's full what
1: colon represents yep so Got axis bold as love looks love.
2: like that was uh back on episode 22 in the first season look at
3: josh Holy with the quick pull. right on josh
2: if if our spreadsheet is correct <laughs> <laughs> but,
3: well that's, yeah. that's up for debate so um, i
1: i created a new fancier one josh that you can look at with color coding and everything oh, so i don't know if wow. that's the one. You, i'll share that with you guys yeah but continue right Matt. On. i'm sorry
3: all right, uh, 1983, 39 years ago, Neil Young was sued by Geffen Records because his new music, the new music for his uh, for the label was not commercial in nature and ah, musically yes. <laughs> uncharacteristic of his previous albums. Yes,
1: I, uh, that's one of my favorite stories along the way. They're just like, yeah. your albums just aren't good enough anymore. Your album sucks, we're going to sue you. So he just so. like doubled down and went even more non-commercial, <laughs> which of, of course Neil Young's going to do. What did you think he yeah. was going to Okay, got you guys. Um, here's my pop album. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Wasn't he using like, weird question, synthesizers and stuff?
3: It could. It was 1983. It very well could have been. I mean, Neil Young definitely has some bad albums. But this, this one in particular was called Everybody's Rockin'. And it had a selection of rockabilly songs, which were both covers and original material. And it ran for only 25 minutes, which was Neil Young's shortest album. But so I have all music
1: shady. up right now. So I'm okay. right now, just spur of the moment, I'm going in and I'm going to quickly read the review of Everybody's Rockin', which received two stars. It is a year after an album called Trans, which has like robots and looks like a craftwork title. This one features a pink cover with Neil Young very much looking like a 50s guitar player, kind of. Like, you know the 50s? You're like, your knees are bent a little bit and you've got the slicked back hair and stuff. Yeah, Mm -hmm. It's there. Is he like a beat? It's a highly comical cover. I would strongly suggest it. So it is a quick review. Here it is. By following the high-tech trans after only seven months with the Rockabilly album, Neil Young baffled his audience. Just as he had followed the sales peak of Harvest in 1972 with a series of challenging uncommercial albums, Young had now dissipated the commercial and critical acceptance he had enjoyed with 1979's Rust Never Sleeps. They explained the album as a mediocre album and an inexplicable genre exercise.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Inexplicable.
1: Yes. Everybody's Rockin' was his lowest charting album since his 1969 solo debut, and he didn't release another album for two years, his longest break ever between records to that point. So there you go. Hmm. It was presented as a... It says, if he had presented the album as a mini album at a discount price, it would have been easier to enjoy the joke that Young seemed to intend. (laughs) So there you go. Hmm.
4: Yeah.
3: And he got sued by his record. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, 35 years ago in 1987, uh, a Kentucky teacher lost her appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court over the fact that she was fired after showing Pink Floyd's film The Wall to her class. (laughs) the court decided that the film was not suitable for minors with its bad language and sexual content. So I guess you can't, I don't know. It didn't say what grade it was, but um, I'm guessing it wasn't high school. Second grade. (laughs) Fun fact, a fourth grade teacher, not my fourth grade teacher, but a fourth grade teacher in my school showed an unedited version of Beverly Hills cop to to her class. (laughs) Was she fired? (laughs) Yeah. that was not fireable uh but um but yeah i i I was always jealous that i wasn't in that class uh, for that for that moment hilarious yeah uh 33 years ago in 1989 sly stone was sentenced sentenced to 55 days after pleading guilty to a charge of driving under the influence of cocaine cocaine yep (laughs) that would be my guess yep yeah. And he uh, later pled guilty to possession and was sentenced to spend nine, nine to 14 months in rehab. Nine
1: um, to 14. That's a very that's arbitrary amount of time. Large it range. is.
3: Yes. Um, and then the uh, this was I never heard of this. And I don't remember covering this, but eight years ago in 2014, ACDC's drummer, Phil Rudd, pleaded not guilty to charges of threatening to kill somebody and possession of drugs. Uh, the uh, 60-year-old australian-born musician was charged with attempting to procure the murder of two people uh 4 months later he actually ended up pleading guilty but the the sentence was or the, the charges were reduced it wasn't actually f- with trying to follow through with setting up the plot but it was just the attempt uh and from what i read i read a little bit further into this he threatened to kill his former assistant and the assistant's daughter, apparently. Uh, He was apparently upset with the poor sales of his 2014 solo album by the name of Head Job. And for some reason he (laughs) felt that this associate was was somehow to blame. And um, as a result, he did end up being sentenced to eight months of home detention, which probably wasn't much of a sentence because I think he lived like right on the coast of like the ocean, (laughs) a really nice house and everything. So instead of going to jail, he just had to stay home for eight months. So um, I had never heard that story before, but
2: tough, yeah. Uh, tough don't,
4: home, don't, home Don't mess uh, with Phil Rudd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what,
3: um, and, and he was the drummer? He was the drummer, yeah. And I guess ACDC was going out on tour at that time, so they, they couldn't use him, so they, they hired somebody else. So he was not able to go on their 2014 tour.
2: <laughs> Solo uh, drum album? Is that just all
3: drums? (laughs) That's a good question. I mean, Ringo's got some albums, you know. It's he's Phil Collins. Phil Collins has albums that we're going to cover one tonight. That's true. They can branch out, Josh. Yep. A couple birthdays today. Turning seventy-eight years old today. Born in nineteen forty-four. Doors drummer uh, John Desmo Densmore turns seventy-eight. Also turning seventy-eight. Eric Bloom. Do either of you remember who Eric Bloom is? Is that name familiar to? I do not. He is uh, was the guitarist and vocalist from Blue Oyster Cult, one of Josh's favorite finds of the was the seventies, right? That was yeah, one your, yeah. Definitely. And just throwing this in here, we haven't covered her, but man, you gotta you gotta give props to Bette Midler. Bette Midler was born in nineteen forty four as well. Actually, all three of these have the same birthday. All turned seventy eight years old today. So oh. uh, happy birthday to Bette Midler as well.
2: How About that, not covering Bette Midler. I don't think for so. As famous as or as popular as her albums no. were,
3: and that's this day in history. And I think before we get to the next segment, Josh is gonna give us a little update in the news.
2: Yeah, not really cleaning the stacks per se, but Christine McVie of Fleetwood Mac died this week at the age of seventy nine. Mm-hmm. She, we've covered uh, two albums of theirs, or just rumors? I can't I remember. We just did rumors, but um, yep, quite rumors, quite popular, uh, well loved. You know, the the retrospective. Uh post post uh Death Love is always um, prominent on the internet and lots of lists out there and articles about her best songs and and all of that mm-hmm. and um uh an important part of, of Fleetwood Mac. And uh so I just wanted to shout her out um and, and make people aware of that if they weren't already. Nice. And yeah. now so it's time for Matt and John sing the hits. <laughs> The segment where I pick a Billboard Hot 100 chart from the week that one of our albums was released. Matt and John will then try and sing the top 10 of that week. This week I chose from June 22nd, 1985, the week of that week. (laughs) The week of that week. The week of that week. (laughs) The week that Prefab Sprout um pre sprouts album came out so right you're smack still in the struggling middle. with that name aren't you I know. It's a bit of not you and you know mm-hmm. what i was practicing too but mm-hmm. just can't <laughs> do it <laughs> 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 all right so we will start from the bottom and go to the top
1: started I, from the bottom <laughs> now we <we're> here <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay.
2: and uh at 10 weeks on the chart mm-hmm. and number 10 this week is the search is over by survivor guys Whoa. know that one it's a ballad
1: i listened to it earlier
0: the
3: search I... is over <laughs> for me uh, and you no
1: i'd like to sing burning heart and eye of the tiger yeah. but i do yeah. not know um i don't know hearts, hearts, hearts on fire is also no yeah, that's like that's a, uh, no, robert that's, lascola or something yeah. right yeah
4: mm-hmm. um, yeah
1: is it good or is it shitty
2: no i couldn't even i like no yeah. the chorus isn't even memorable so i'm okay. surprised uh I guess Survivor yep. was on a hot streak, though. Who knows? Well, it was
3: 1985.
1: Yep. Well, like, their pop songs are kind of like ballads in their own way. Up, oh, someone's listening to it right now. <laughs> that's, is that's it Matt? An are you listening ways. to it, Matt?
3: Yeah, I have it on my... I can hear it. I think, I, think it. I have heard of this. Oh, yeah.
1: Ooh, that's bad. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I know this song. This now
1: I our listeners that. have heard it, too. This is a good thing, Matt. If we don't know <laughs> it, just play it in the background. Then yeah, the listeners yeah.
3: can hear it. So
1: there you go.
3: You know you don't know this, John?
1: I don't know. I've
3: Ooh, definitely heard a, this before. That's
1: soaring vocals there.
3: It definitely <laughs> sounds like eighty-five.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well yeah. Definitely not timeless. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, not timeless. Alright, well we had that. Survivor. That was Survivor singing Survivor. I was the Survivor <laughs> there of that ballad, so <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, number nine, 14 weeks on the chart Walking on Sunshine by Katrina and the oh, Waves. Oh, I know that one. Classic. You want to start, Matt? There
3: uh, I don't know what the fuck Walking on Sunshine. Yeah, uh, <laughs> wow. <Whoa! laughs> and it's gotten feel good. Yeah. <laughs> that's that, that one. I, I know mm-hmm. that song more for the, for the music.
2: I always remember I used in, to uh,
3: think maybe
0: that that something Yeah.
2: Maybe
0: I, mm-hmm.
2: I remember that part in uh, High Fidelity where Jack yeah. Black puts yep. it on and he starts dancing. That's Come on, part.
3: man! That'd be a conversation <laughs> yeah, starter. it's often
1: it's often used in like a thing like where someone is like manic, who's female, you know what I mean? To like mm. they're like running in place or something. It's that's what I think of with that song all the time. So, yep.
0: Okay, number <laughs>
2: number yeah, that's eight. Yeah, that's a good song. Uh, fourteen weeks on the chart. Things can only get better by Howard Jones, our old friend. Oh, Howard just Jones. Did Howard Jones. Okay, but it was not on that album, but I was. I, rec- I... I recognized it as soon as I heard the chorus. It's Matt, quite play not it. familiar.
1: Play it, unless you know to sing it. Let's hear it in the background of Howard
3: your... Jones. Okay.
1: Mhm. Come on. Okay.
3: How long is it going to take to get it? <laughs> Oh, I know this song. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know that song. Gotcha. Uh, uh, yeah, that's. I never knew that was the name of the song. I think gotta
1: give more than just that. Matt, I never like knew something. it was Howard Jones,
2: so I'm glad. Oh, I, I did I not knew. either. I
1: definitely
3: knew this was Howard One Jones. of
1: our listeners said the follow-up album for the Howard Jones album was a guilty pleasure. Is it from the follow-up album, Matt? I think um. it might
2: be because... The one before is from '84, and this is clearly an '85.
1: Yeah, ah, what album is this on? One of our listeners yeah. on YouTube made a comment on the Howard Jones clip that did say that it was a guilty pleasure. Mm. So,
3: I do mm-hmm. think the other Howard Jones album—I'm not sure what album this is from. Oh, yes, this is it. Yeah, that, this is that one.
1: That's the next album? Song. Okay.
3: Yeah. What's that it was album from called? From '85, right? So that would yeah. that would mm-hmm. have played in line with uh, what we were doing. I think that's what "No One Is to Blame" is on that as well, perhaps.
1: Okay. Well, there you go. That
2: album is called no, it's Dream
1: not Into one. Action. Dream Into Action. Well, the you follow-up album. On Spotify, and
2: it's, Things it's Can Only things Get Better is the title or number one song or track off that album, track one. Okay. Yep, and No One Is to Blame is also on there. Okay. Okay. Um, this, one's, this next one's a tough one. I didn't recognize it. It is uh, 16 Weeks on the Chart In My House uh, by Mary Jane Girls. It sounds kind of like a dance track when I listen to it, number seven on the charts mm, this
1: week. No, I, I don't know that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love the feature of Matt hitting this, <laughs> cueing this up. <laughs> oh, in my house, my yep. house. Yes. This is uh, sampled. It. Someone sampled is this. Um, yes. Okay. In
0: my house, my house. Yeah,
1: this is, um, I didn't realize this was the name of it, but yeah, this is. I definitely know this oh, song, and this is definitely like a banger. Like I'm gonna call that one out. So,
3: mm-hmm. yeah, and the, uh, the it's got album that album layered 80s.
1: vocal. Yeah, like real synthy, like the echo vocal. Yep.
3: And the outfits e- these ladies are wearing are definitely eighties yep. as well. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely All got right. a little
1: bit of the synthy and drum machine, Phil Collinsy like this. But yeah,
3: mm-hmm. yep. Rick yeah. Rick
2: James was the producer.
4: It sounds Sound like a Rick
3: James song. Yep. One of the girls on the album actually looks like Rick James. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. uh, okay. Right, good. Good okay, so mm-hmm. I think
2: I think the rest of them you're gonna know. Number right. six, uh, nine weeks on the chart, "Angel" by Madonna from "Like a Virgin," which surprisingly yep. we're not covering Angel. that album.
1: Oh, you John, know how's Angel? that go? Oh, play it. You'll know it immediately. I'll I'll <laughs> sing it while it's going on, but you're gonna recognize it.
3: Uh, sorry, I don't want "Angel" Olson. There it is. Yep. Isn't amazing? I could just do this. Yeah, I know. You're like a DJ. You're an angel.
0: Okay? <laughs> I can feel it in my heart.
3: You got it. Yeah, yeah, I know that.
1: I told you, Matt, that you'd know yep. it immediately. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. It's like not my favorite Madonna, so there's so many good songs on that album too, like Dress You Up and that's Like America. a Virgin literally and Madonna. It's uh it, that's uh Material Girls on that one too, right? But yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's a deep there's a deep cut on that um called um deeper cut called over and over which i like on like a virgin too so yep
0: does
2: that dress you up in my love over? no
3: i to dress you up in my love no, over and over is different oh, okay. oh it's yeah. like Ooh. it's like an aerobic yeah. song <laughs> yeah. just like it's good <laughs> it's good stuff yeah Play all right that for a bit number
2: yeah. five six weeks mm-hmm. on the chart for my money one of the best james bond themes it's a view to a kill by duran oh. duran
1: oh,
4: matt Picture i'll let you take you the view <laughs> you got
0: it. Until we dance into the fire,
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: Fatal you guys are more. Kiss kiss all she <laughs> <needs>.
4: Yeah,
0: Simon
2: <laughs> Le voice is like primo for that song, and yeah. the electric. The start of it is just a banger. It Gets you hyped. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take that.
1: a Mulligan on Duran Duran there because okay. they're they're well, more you
2: guys than me, well, so. definitely um, listen blessed. to that track, John you'll like I think you'll like the oh no, I know the that sent song. that song
1: Oh, I definitely um, know that song i just I just knew you guys would want to sing it, so I oh, laid yeah. back I'm going to take whatever the next two are. give them <laughs> okay. just
2: so numbers uh number four on the chart six weeks Raspberry beret <laughs> by Prince and the Revolution
1: Raspberry Beret. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great song. That's one, one of the best. That pr- find all yeah. This
3: secondhand store. Yeah. Yep. Yep.
1: yep. You got it. One hundred percent right, Matt. So yeah, okay. that's oh, one right of the right best Prince songs. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's we're gonna cover that album, I think, too. If I remember. I that's that's so. th- next one. Are we? That's before Sign of the Times. What's Raspberry the name of that Ray album? Ray
3: on... Such a that's such what a the good heck album movie? is this. Uh, one, two, three, this, this four. It's not it's not good to search on Spotify for this to find out the the albums. I have to I have to go online. It's, <laughs> uh, it's from
2: around the world in a day. There you go. That's and a, it. I don't think we are covering that Oh album.
3: we are. Okay. No, we're not. We're doing we're gonna yeah. do sign Sino the Times. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's a big
1: huge one. That's one of his most well known albums, but yep. Okay.
2: okay, into the top three, 15 weeks on the chart. Everybody wants to rule the world by tears for fears
1: i could probably sing that entire (laughs) song right there let me think what part i want to jump in on that one like
0: say that you'll never never
1: never leave me (laughs) say that it's like that video is so intense right Mm -hmm. so sad we almost made it
0: everybody wants to (laughs) yeah Mm
3: -hmm. yep yep songs from the big chair Mm -hmm. we're covering that one i think we are is that next Mm -hmm. week or two, two weeks we're looking
1: soon, to my or is it eyes it's yeah
4: There's
3: yeah it's the next the next up uh, the next full album we're or next regular episode we're doing Josh will be covering Tears for Fears with songs oh. from the big chair yeah they
1: sing in like arpeggios uh, Tears for Fears have you ever noticed that they sing the ups and downs remember we covered mm-hmm. arpeggios in the jazz like definitely like that like so glad you've almost made like that whole time that's how I was thinking of them so yeah Good stuff.
2: Nice. Mm-hmm. Seven weeks on chart number two. An album we're covering this week. Su- mm-hmm. su- studio by Phil Collins. Oh,
1: it's all yours, Matt. All yours. <laughs> There's a you.
0: girl that's been on my mind <laughs> all the time. Think about time. her all the time. Su- 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 studio. <laughs> yeah. I need you.
1: Ah. That's uh,
0: uh, like, a ah. deal. I've been waiting all, <laughs> all my life. All my life. life. <laughs> that yeah that's Susie's yeah for
2: that is a, a album starter it a is well we'll, we'll
1: talk bad. about that one I, I might have to challenge you on that one josh but we'll wait for the segment for that one so. and then number
2: one 10 weeks on the chart mm-hmm. rising up to number one this week
1: mm-hmm. it is
2: brian adams heaven
0: Oh, I my that away from you.
1: <laughs> it's just like I always—I don't even I'm know what the words are. I just say,
0: "Give me all that
1: I want." When Can I find out in, in your eyes. Eyes. <laughs>
0: it's hard, hard to believe, hard to believe. We're, in we're in heaven.
1: Yeah, and then he gets more passionate at the end, Brian Adams style. Like, and you never mm. quite know what he's saying, but. Because I will always, you
3: guys know what I'm going to go with this. I will always think of a friend of ours and her wedding when we when I think of Brian Adams. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There was about 900 Brian Adams songs that were played at that wedding. I almost felt like he was there.
1: Where where another friend of ours and Matt looked at each other as I was thinking the same thing and going, "It's a lot of Brian Adams." (laughs) (laughs)
3: That's another Brian Adams song. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was weird, too, because it was not an under sort of greatest hits thing. But God bless. I mean, people love yeah. Brian Adams. Love, I don't hate Brian Adams. I, I love the fact that Brian Adams was so pissed off at all music that he demanded his music to be taken off of it because he didn't f- think the reviews were oh, positive really? enough. So you can't find Brian Adams on, or you couldn't for a long time on all That's music. That's funny. So. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Heaven is like a classic 80s song. It's It's just... Is it a, pa- would you say that's a power? I'd say it's power. Yes, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Brian Adams is not on here. <laughs> yeah. You know, he demanded <laughs> stuff to be taken off because wow. he was pissed at a review. So like, it's kind of, it's a good Google. It's a good Google rabbit hole to go down. That's But hilarious. they're like, dude, what do you want us to do? Like amend the review? And he basically was like,
3: yeah, we hate so, your yeah. music. So what? Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Amazing. All
4: right. Mm-hmm. Let's so
3: move into
2: go. the show proper. That was good stuff. Absolutely. Always enjoyable.
1: Well, is there a smooth transition to the smooth operator, Shad? It's a
2: smooth week in general, I would say, mm-hmm. for music.
1: Yeah. I would agree with that. So, um, before uh, the episode, we were trying to figure out what we were going to have in it, but uh, I believe that I agreed to Jezebel in the montage, which you would have heard by now. And now you're going to hear a little bit of the sweetest taboo. sweetest taboo can you can we sing like Shaday? I, 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 I did okay there right like she has such a distinctive voice yeah, but it's, you, yeah I, it's
3: I, very... I thought i thought she was on the podcast for a second oh, yeah. hey
1: thank you matt i appreciate that that fake praise but i'll Shut take up. it so. is still alive i think yes she is, yes, she okay. is still alive um, josh
3: over here hasn't killed her off yet so <laughs>
1: <laughs> for the first time ever, Matt, I'm going to remember to throw, the, oh. throw it to you for the numbers. Yep,
3: There we go. All right, so Sade's Promise comes in at number 494 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums, number 41 in 1985, number 3,186 uh, of uh, overall rankings. It is Sade's third highest album on Best Ever Albums behind 1984's Diamond Life and 1992's Lux Delu- Love Deluxe. Um, And uh, she's not on Rolling Stone's list. Actually, none of the albums tonight are on Rolling Stone's list. And Sade comes in at number 435 of overall artist rankings on Best Ever albums.
1: Gotcha. Well, this is our second uh, coverage of Mm -hmm. uh, Sade on the... The podcast you can check out an earlier review a couple of weeks ago where we delved in a little bit so uh one thing here that i did not know and i'll, I'll do did you know sade is like schrodinger's cat in that it's both her and the band right so <laughs> yes. she's kind of in, in both hands. i did not know hmm. that the band was also known as Shade. i just thought it was a singer who just had accompaniment right that was kind that of how- like
3: van halen um,
1: not as much, because there's cause Van mul- Halen
3: the- was the guy, but uh, the guys, but it's also the band.
1: It's like a yeah. Gestalt. Or Bon Jovi. Shade. Yeah,
3: I, it, uh, Bon Jovi.
1: Yeah. I mean, but that, it's weird because that's like one last member, names. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, mm. um, yeah, this is just, it's both the person and the band. So I did not realize that. Yeah. Um, I did, however, realize, um, that Sade was born in Nigeria, but brought up in uh, Essex, England from the age of four. So she uh, went to art school in London and uh, before becoming a musician was sort of recognized as both a fashion designer and a model um, before sort of saying, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and join the band Pride. Actually, the story there of those different things, who do you think I, I'll just throw this out to you, who do you think I thought of that had kind of a similar thing where it was like model, fashion person from an early age and then kind of got into music? I immediately kind of connected this, but can you guys think anybody from Someone the way back? machine? Mm-hmm. The way back Nico. machine in our 60s. Yes. Very similar to Nico is kind of the thing where she was in the world of fashion and then decided to kind of pursue musical interests. Mm-hmm. Um, very different voices, obviously, but both strong, independent women as well. So, yeah. So good, good job, Matt. That was who I thought of as well. So. Uh, a little bit there. The uh, the uh, middle name of Falushade uh, well, is Helen Falushade Adu, so that is where the Shade comes mm-hmm. from. And the middle name of Falushade means honor earns the crown. So um, her father was a Nigerian lecturer of economics, which I found very interesting. Mm-hmm. And her mother was a uh, nurse. Uh, they met in London. Uh, married and moved to Nigeria. So they actually went from London to Nigeria, but then her parents separated when she was four, and um, her uh, mother, who was the English citizen originally, moved back to England, and Sade and her older brother, uh, Banji, uh, or Banjai. I I actually have to admit that I did not look at that, so I apologize if it is Banjai, but um, probably Jai because Nigerian names tend to go more Jai than G, right? We'll see. But um, yeah. anyway, she has an older brother. Um, they moved uh, to uh, Holland on the sea, on Sea uh, Essex. Uh, and then she uh, went to art school, as we mentioned, and she studied fashion design at St. Martin's School of Art, uh, completed that program and then began singing with a band by the name of Pride um, I think what's most important here is that she formed a songwriting partnership with a gentleman by the name of Stuart Matthewman, um, and they began doing their own sets. Uh, one of the songs in this set was the song Smooth Operator, which got um, at the attention of record companies. And eventually, Sade and Matthewman split from the group Pride, um, and along with um, the keyboardist Andrew Hale, the drummer Paul Cook, and the bassist Paul Denman, Combined to form the band Sade. So I, I imagine it's kind of like what like no doubt must have been thinking when they had like Gwen Stefani or something where it's like we have this like very <laughs> Or Blondie, right? You know kind of yeah. has the same cons. Maybe Blondie might even be a better thing where it's like okay we have this very Photogenic person. We've got musicians behind it, but we're gonna kind of go all in right with you know what I mean like centering it around this charismatic mm-hmm. presence with obviously a completely distinctive voice but when i was reading that kind of there seemed to be a little bit of a awareness of that with the people around like we're destined to be sort of like <laughs> the background folks but that's okay um so they perform uh their first show at the heaven nightclub in london and it actually uh, i read this on multiple places but it was so popular that like an incredibly large amount of people were turned away at the door i think a lot of times it's it's about a thousand is normally what's Um, credited as the amount of people there Um, and then they end up in the US um, in late 1983 and then eventually um, interestingly enough she signed with Epic Records first in October of 1983 and then the rest of the band signed in 1984 which I found to be very interesting so um, I I went looking for it a little bit and it seems like Epic was kind of looking at her as a solo artist, right? But then mm-hmm. somewhere along the line, I, I don't know if she advocated for the band to come with her or if they kind of viewed it as a little bit more the partnership. Obviously, because Matthewman was writing songs, I think maybe there was an element of that too, that you know, some of that was there. But um, that leads to the band recording the album Diamond Life, which we covered, um, that was recorded at the power plant in London. And it was released on July 16th, 1984 and reached number two on the UK album charts, selling 1.2 million copies and winning the Brit Award for Best British Album in 1985. The album also was a large hit internationally um, across Europe and across the world, including being a top 10 album in the US and, you know, British crossover, some did and some didn't, right? Well, this was one that did. Um, It did sell over 4 million copies in the United States, and it has uh, international sales of over 6 million copies, making it one of the top-selling debut albums of the 80s and the best-selling debut ever by a British female vocalist. Um, So they continue along, um, releasing singles, and then that eventually leads us to our album Tonight, which uh, was the album Promise, their second album, which was released in the year 1985. Uh, Before we cover it a little bit, a couple pieces of information that might be um, helpful on this. Um, They are working with the same team of producers that they worked with on their debut album. Um, Some names that were included are Ben Rogan, Robin Millar, and Mike Pella. Uh, The album's title comes from a letter From Sade's father where he refers to the promise of hope um, to recover from the cancer that he was battling so there was um, a context for the uh, album title as well Hmm. Um, the sort of the recording of it um, there was not a, a obviously this album was extremely successful let me start by saying that it it was close to equally as successful as the debut album um, it was pretty well regarded critically. Um, it did uh, reach number one in the. US Billboard 200 so it did improve upon the top tw- the top 200 um, showing uh, of their debut album and uh, it had sold 1 million copies by September of 1988. Um, since then, it has sold in excess of 4 million copies. One thing about Sade's albums you find is they continue to sell throughout the CD era, um, which I found to be very interesting. It's just like people were always sort of stumbling on to that, you know what I mean? And then buying the album, which you can't say about everybody, you know, but. Sade
2: uh, is timeless.
1: It's, yeah, that's a grower, I guess, would be mm-hmm. what I would say. And there's, there's always people that, that this album. Um, uh, refers to um I or I shouldn't say refer um refers is the wrong word this album appeals to appeals, probably be yeah. the best mm-hmm. way yeah that's what I was going for right there um uh, the the as I said before it was relatively well received there were some notable um e- examples you know what I mean of critics that didn't love it but for the most part uh, it's another one of those albums that retrospectively has gotten more well-regarded than maybe it was at the time, but it certainly wasn't critically panned at the time, I yeah. guess would be uh, the best way to put it. Um, I I guess the be- other thing I would say about this album was that uh, the album spawned two singles, Never As Good As The First Time and The Sweetest Taboo. Um, they both um, reached the U.S. top 100 and stayed on there for over... Six months, uh, Sweetest Taboo got as high as number five on the uh, Hot 100. So, depending on what month you pick, Josh, it could have very well been, you know, in Matt and John sang the hits. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, one thing that will appeal to you, uh, Josh, is shortly after this album uh, was made, Sade made her acting debut in a film that was considered to be a pretty infamous film, I guess, in Great Britain. Based on a nineteen fifties novel, Absolute Beginners. Are you familiar with that film? I am not. It is quite an interesting read. It is it is actually blamed for the collapse of an entire British film studio called <laughs> Goldcrest Films. How I was familiar with it was the Bowie song, Absolute Beginners, oh, which yeah, was the, in it. Yep, which was the, the track, the lead track, which I was familiar with. I was not aware that it was tied to a movie. Or a book for that matter. But apparently it was a book that was sort of well well regarded and very British, right? Like about a a guy in Britain and sort of, you know, the, the life and times of what was happening. There was an element of sort of progressivism in it as well. But yeah, it then became a movie. Um, the names I recognize, like Patsy Kensett was in it. Um, and Bowie was in it. And yes, yeah, Sade was also in this um, this film. Um, but yeah, it was quite the, the interesting read because it was, it was an, al- it looked like a, a the type of um, movie that would have been a very interesting, um, uh, like retrospective to look at with like talking headpiece, right? Where people talked yeah. about working on it and stuff like that because yeah, it was, um, it was kind of viewed as a, uh, as sort of an epic failure. Ray
2: Davies also is in the movie. <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah, it's, it's. Yeah, I won't go into that because that could be a whole other segment. But yeah, that was her acting debut. Hmm. So uh, I can add a little bit more um, unique stuff about what happened afterwards and stuff like that. But that does kind of take us up uh, to um, this album. Uh, Matt, why don't we start with you? Thoughts would- on Sade and, and, and also like maybe the totality, right? Now that you've heard two albums, what do you think?
3: Yeah. I, well, first I'd like to say I think that Josh has a new uh, Josh's Movie Corner. To, uh, you want to, you watch, to you watch
2: absolute Jeez. beginners <laughs> <laughs> i do
3: uh, josh <laughs> that'll be funny yeah um so yes my second run at Sade here this this album to me seems if memory serves this is this seems more j- jazzier than like mm-hmm. this to me is this very jazz uh kind of influenced album that um i think grew i i grew on a little bit over time like you know because initially i was i think i was a little bored was an initial reaction that i had i wasn't really wasn't really doing too much for me i don't know maybe it wasn't the best um
2: on this album or on Shana this album yeah on, i'm sorry okay.
3: on this album yeah uh, like this seemed jazzy the other one seemed a little bit more upbeat maybe a little funkier there's some funk moments on this like particularly with like never as good as as the first time which is a more upbeat uh you know funk based song uh, which that was a song that kind of stood out to me initially sweetest taboo. I did know that was another, Oh yeah. I remember hearing that song on the radio mm-hmm. kind of deal. And, um, and you know, so I think that this definitely benefited for me with repeated listeners. And I think this definitely seems like an album it's it's, this is a good evening album. Like this is a good kind of like, it's another one of those albums that se- seems like it's kind of coming from a nightclub you know, late at night, um, you know, it's very smooth. Like this is <laughs> smooth as definitely uh the 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 quality of the production, um, which is pretty good. Lots of saxophone that's mm-hmm. that's permeates throughout this. Yeah. Um and yeah, it's just kind of like a jazzy nightclub. Like actually and actually the first song, Is It a Crime, actually starts off like you're kind of in a in a burlesque show of some sorts. You know, you expect some some lady to come out dancing you know to this very dramatic kind of entrance song that 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 is it a crime starts off as so um so yeah i think i definitely like this more as, as time went on it's um it's 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 not the genre that i, I t- typically gravitate towards but i do i really do like her voice um i like you know kind of the the mellow aspects of a lot of the songs on here um even though the ones that were a little bit more upbeat you know um i re- i was I, I gravitated towards more when I first listened to it. Uh, Maureen's another good song. The final track's kind of more of an upbeat, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a good a, a way to close and stuff as well. I mean, not lyrically, so, but yes. <laughs> well, not lyrically, right? I mean, well, I, I'm not, when am I ever talking about lyrics? Guys? I mean, I, and I was going to mention like I can tell, obviously, like a song like "Tar Babies." A, that, that's a very depressing song you know there's some very you know there's some what is it war of the hearts is a very depressing mm-hmm. song you know so uh there's there's definitely a mood to this um you know this 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 feeling of there's a melancholy overtone to this but i like that a lot i, I like um I, I i like kind of like a sad melancholy nature to the songs here but i think this is definitely an album to listen to you know when you're winding down you at night or whatever you want to just have something that's Sonically, anyway, is at least kind of like this. Um, I don't know, like a like yeah, like a jazzy or kind of relaxing type sound. Um, and if you want to go to lyrics, you're probably going to get a lot more into that, which I'm sure you guys can talk to. But I did like this. It's it's. it's I I don't know how often I would go back to this, but I definitely think that I could. Um, and I don't think that this is for everybody. Obviously, this is if you're not really into a smoother, softer jazzier type sound uh, if you need more energy so to speak you're, you're probably going to want to go elsewhere but if you're okay with kind of like a nice uh i don't know like a pensive sounding you know somber sounding record this is definitely a good place to go to and um yeah i like to- Listening to it more i, it, I you know I, the, the repeated listenings definitely did it some favors for me, so i'll go slightly thumbs up here i'm not like th- totally enthusiastic about it, but I think that there's plenty of elements here that are enjoyable, and uh, so I would go with a slight thumbs up for me
2: yeah i think <clears throat> I think that gets into the appeal that John was talking about the the way she sings, coupled with kind of the jazz nature of her music and arrangements uh, I think that a- can work in a lot of different settings, uh, especially at night. You know, romantic, obviously, I think fits as well. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Relaxing would be another (laughs) emotion or vibe that you could put off on this. um, I like this album, too, um, also. Uh, The thing that stuck out to me this time, you know, compared to the first one, Diamond Life, was that it seemed more complex lyrically I think there's some growth with her in the band Um, I think that arrangements were more complex as well and I I kind of dialed in on the lyrics this time or or paid more attention to them and I think they're you know the emotions behind them are complex um, as well as the lyrics are so you know I think there's a lot of um, uh, conflicting emotions in some of these songs Um, you know like you mentioned Tar Baby. I think um, that's true for that, and Maureen, and and You're Not the Man. You know, there's some there's some sadness to them, but there's also, like you said, melancholy. Also, that um, you know, bittersweet feelings. Um, you know, reminiscing, but also uh, not always good memories necessarily so I think I think that's throughout I I appreciated uh, you know she in a song like fear she's singing in Spanish some as well so I think that's adding an element um, to it and the um, but she's not just talking about love which I felt like she was doing primarily on the first album so I think she's talk I think she's expanding kind of what she's feeling or talking about in different situations uh, the I mean love is still there but maybe there's some different types of love that that are discussed the um so yeah I think the album is pretty strong throughout there's not really bad songs oh I you know another point that you made Matt um there's an instrumental track on this um Punch Drunk which is kind you know if kind of the jazz nature but you would think with uh you know Sade being front and center she would be singing on all of them so she's she's uh you know giving space to her band as well um so that's interesting that's kind of right in the middle and um yeah i liked I, I enjoyed a lot of these songs i hadn't heard of any of them i'm not sure if i knew is it a crime which is kind of the the most famous song on here and
3: you didn't know sweetest taboo yeah the sweetest taboo is the biggest the famous oh yeah. famous song on I, here. i don't think short. i yeah. did i didn't
2: recognize mm. it so um I think really I only knew Smooth Operator from the first album but um, yeah that I think it was a, it, again it's like it's an album for like a certain feeling or it's not going to work in every situation and I'm definitely more of a high energy music listener if I'm going to listen to music but I think it has its place and um, and it, it's solid so I'm also going to give it a, a, a thumbs up
1: Yeah, I really like this album quite. I actually felt it it represented a a real um, step up in sophistication Mm -hmm. of the music this time. I mean, always with Sade, it's going to be mood setting. And as you said, Josh, it's more than almost any artist we've listened to. The the appeal of Sade is so time and event specific. There are times where I would not want to listen to this. Not because it's bad, but it just... As you said, it doesn't give me the energy I want because the energy I'm looking for is sort of a relaxed, sort of romantic, playful type of approach. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where to some degree you, she's not designed to be listened to hard and intensely, but that's not a knock. It's the reason is because the mood it sets is a very relaxed mood you know and it can be just as much romantic as it is um just sitting in your own space. And so there's times where it's like this is really excellent music for doing some thinking of your own or um you know at at a dinner at a certain time. It definitely the vibe is warm weather. I it's a it's a weird listen cold weather which we're in right now. It doesn't it doesn't kind of match up with cold, right? It matches mm. up with evening to me or early morning, and it matches up with... Um, uh, it's funny because it, it matches up with a very intimate um, mood, either with yourself in an intimate space or with a select other person or a couple people, right? It's not crowd music, you know? It's, it would be weird for me to go to a concert of Sade and, like, in the crowd because I feel like everybody would be experiencing it personally Mm-hmm. um it, it, there's not like a, a communalness to me it's a, it's a more personal music once again not a knock just the feel for me um you guys didn't mention some songs i really love on this i i love the song Jezebel it it gives the vibe of a Jezebel right where you're wronged and um i just i just thought it was sonically a really cool track um mm-hmm. it it's it reminded me almost of like the singers from the 60s that we did um, it, it had a little bit of a Nina Simone vibe to me, um, which I, I loved. Uh, oh, yeah. I thought mm-hmm. the song Fear was really good. It was um, it was almost a little bit um, like free jazzy at the yeah. end of it. Um, it. It has a really cool bass line that, that thumps in the background like boom, boom, like that just stands out. A lot of these songs actually had great bass lines. Uh, the sax and the bass are the two things that stand out along with Sade's voice. Um, and the drum just sort of stays in the back. There's a lot of hi-hat. Um, it kind of fills in along along the the way. Um, the song Maureen was another song I really enjoyed. It's a little bit more high energy for what Sade is. It comes in with those bongos. Um, mm-hmm. I, I loved it as an album closer. It was highly appealing mm-hmm. to me. And then... You know, uh, the first three tracks, Is It a Crime, The Sweetest Taboo, and War of the Hearts are the type of songs you could put on um, at, like, a dinner party, and they could just blend in and people would enjoy it. Um, very inoffensive music, but in the best way possible. Um, it's also, like, romantic dinner music, <laughs> I feel yep. like, which is not a For bad sure. thing. Yeah. Let's get, these things could sound like cliches, but I just imagine going to, like, a nice little Caribbean getaway and having that music in the background and just it it signaling to me that i am on vacation and relaxed and that the mood has changed uh and that's a good thing um i can see why this music is so popular because it's evergreen kind of you can put this on at any era at any time you know at any time no matter what age and it doesn't um necessarily seem of the 80s it could just as easily be playing right (laughs) now um I also think it's music for older folks than younger folks. I think the the older you get, the more this type of music appeals yeah. to you a little bit. Yeah. I think it's even called like sophista rock. And the reason is because I just don't see like 17 year olds putting this on. I think it there's like a little bit of a, like you have to have a little bit more life experience yeah. to understand <laughs> yeah. why this I music think. sets the tone for you. You know what I mean? And so like, I do want to mention that I think, um, If you're a younger listener of the show, um, your mileage may vary on this, but I get the feeling if you're like over 50, there's not going to be many people that are like, oh, I don't like her. You know what I mean? It's going to be like, oh, yes, that's a very appealing sound. Um, And I think where I'm at in my life right now, straddling those two areas, I think I have grown into the music a little more than maybe the 18 or 19 year old version of myself that might have been like, "Eh, it's a little bit boring, you know, Um, but... It definitely is not now. I could see the, the nuance within the songs. And like I said, I appreciate that sometimes there were island sounds. There was different types of percussion. There was like hi-hat stuff. There was jazz percussion. There was like um, hand drumming type of sounds. Uh, the sax sometimes was long and wailing, sometimes was urgent. So I did like the variety of how the sax came in. And there were some really great bass lines on this. And the entire time. Sade is sort of coming in to add, um, to add a little bit of uh, the the finishing touches on it. She's like the, um, how could I describe it? Like, what would you say she is? She's like the finishing touch. She's like the the creme fraiche on the, Ice cream <laughs> the, on meal. the cake. No, nah, just something that is the truffles on. A you don't get. Pasta yeah, you dish. don't get. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's well, maybe not that niche. You know what I mean? Because she's an <laughs> integral part. Of, it's an integral part of it, but it's also not like icing on the cake, mat because that's too generic, and just there aren't a lot of people that sound like Shada. You know, she's got a very distinctive voice. So, yeah, I think it's just something that's an essential part of a meal, but also stands out as being somewhat exotic. I think that would be what mm-hmm. I was going for. So, um, I'll
3: have to think. Yeah, it's definitely is, got like a, a good thing. Yeah. It definitely has a, uh, a, like a more of a mass appeal kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's almost reminding me a little bit of, it's kind of like good. I think we talked a little bit about this with dire straits, brothers in arms, you know, the adult contemporary, Yes. but like good adult. I think adult contemporary yeah. can fall into the vein of some, being this something. This is a much stronger adult
1: contemporary for me right, than yeah. that brother in arms. Or
3: almost was. like, yeah. or even like, yeah, I, I would probably say this is definitely more consistent than brothers in arms. Um, mm-hmm. I mean well brothers in arms also had more edge too it's like when, but when brothers in arms went adult contemporary but not a I lot st- not a lot well no Would it's you, some, yeah. well yeah right one basically like maybe one song but like um but when they went more though, like when they leaned into the adult contemporary, it, it, this is, I would say this is better. It still wasn't to me. It wasn't as bad. I think I liked that more than you guys did, but, um, or, or also kind of like, just this is good elevator music. Like this is good, like music to kind of play. Like, well, I think it's know. better than elevator music. I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But, but yes, but it's also something that could be played like in a, you know, hotel lobby or something like that. It's yes. just very, it's easy. To, it's, it's, it's not harsh. It's very easy. It's smooth. It's good production. But it's good. It doesn't have to be, just because you can play it on, in, in in a hotel lobby or somewhere like that doesn't mean it necessarily has to be bad, you know? So um, yeah. so there's definitely some consistency here that is – and maturity. I think that's a good way of putting it as well. It's more of a mature-sounding type.
2: It of is record. like hotel bar music. That's a good, a good place yeah.
1: it But the be. lyrics aren't <laughs> terrible, like elevator no, no. music is. I wouldn't say they're, like, super high-end, but they're, they're not terrible. And, and there's some depth in some of the songs as well. Um, You know, yeah, there's definitely some you've done me wrong type stuff, but there's deeper context, Um, and there's actually, she paints, the thing I like about Shada is is she paints these, like, these stories right, that you can put yourself into, like mm-hmm. Maureen is a story, and Mr. Wrong, and Jezebel, and The Sweetest Taboo, you know, and, and you kind of just, you imagine who the protagonists, and the, uh, and that was a big thing in, like, the 80s, right, like, I, I always think of, like, another song that's, like, this is, like, Careless Whisper by Wham, right, like, it's, <laughs> like, you're, you're transported into this story that's almost like a little mini movie, right, and Sade is really good at, like, painting those uh, little cinematic type of, stories right where you imagine like who are these people what do they look like you know where where are they you know like and and just they just seem like they'd be perfect for little music videos right along the way Mm -hmm. you could just almost see like the the shot of the the guy leaving the the hotel room you know what i mean or getting on a yacht or something and stuff like that and it's very 80s which Uh is appealing to me so Yeah. yeah but i um Unlike some of the other stuff, like I absolutely could imagine myself in the right context saying, you know, that album promised by Sade, that's a good fit for this where I'm at. And I could absolutely see yep. myself pulling this and referring to it, which is, which moves it right into that category yeah. of recommend for me, because yeah. I could absolutely see myself pulling this, remembering it and putting it into a context where it would be a choice. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what takes it. Yep. That That's for me what a recommend is so mm-hmm.
3: that's fair nice. yeah whereas i
1: can't I, imagine ever going to somebody you yeah, check out the deep cuts on that brothers in arms album you no know, right just, yes. yeah you know what i'm right. saying i hear so. you um mm-hmm.
3: yep uh quick cleaning of the stacks careless whispers uh george michael so oh, it's george not michael. wham oh, oh yeah wow. it
2: is wham yeah. featuring george michael i think is that what it is well i i was on the billboard one of the billboard charts i looked at this week and that was the uh that's how they labeled it so yeah i think okay. it's still wham matt as, that's
1: even weird. though andrew Ridgeley's not on it but all that's right. more Phister Rock. Right sophisticated there.
3: Rock. Also, fun fact, uh my wife's uh coworker, who she's pretty good friends with, is uh, Sade her... No, no. no. <laughs> that would be awesome. By the way, you just uh, said
1: the W like uh like Stewie and Family guy right there. My like, wife's, yeah. I did. Uh, yes. Well, mm-hmm. well, my
3: wife's uh that's more like Borat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh her her coworker's husband was mm. in a Sade cover band, which uh, I ooh. found fantastic. I'm like, wow. What, what was is the name of that was... band?
1: Sade? You know? I don't know. The sweetest taboo. It has yeah. to it's be, right? Like, yeah. something That's like a, that.
3: actually, you know what? That's a good question. I have to I have to find mm-hmm. that out now. But um, but it's yeah, always a reference to to a song. That's what I was going to say. The, made, the sweetest something taboo something. is almost Not the when we saw name. Fake Iron Maiden, they were just Iron Maiden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Remember that? Uh, yes. but yeah, so uh which which I was surprised at when she first told me that. I was like I cuz before I listened to these albums like am like Sade, like, you know, yeah, that was surprising. But like I could see that. I could see man, you know, somebody kind of playing this at a, I don't know, some sort of function or whatever. Like it's very, you know, easy listening kind of uh, good, but good, easy listening stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Nice. So definitely thumbs up for me. I
3: enjoyed this album. Yeah.
2: I think we're all positive all around. I think you were probably the most positive, John.
3: Everything, everything. Go ahead, Josh. I was going to say, I'd be
1: curious just to, to hear a little bit more of what came down the road to see if there was continued, like I said, there's a, there's a consistency with what the sound is, but it's not like they made the same album for the second album. There's definite differences, and I I I want to emphasize that because I think sometimes people think, oh, Sade, she sounds this way, right? Or in this case, the band sounds this way, but I saw a complete differentiation. I did not dislike the first album, but I felt like after a while, the runtime, the... um the differentiation right kind of bled together and it kind of felt like one track i did not feel that way on this track especially because by the end of the album there were variations of the theme that were nice little surprises so
2: she is consistent uh i'm looking at the all music discography and the ratings across the board are very high for all of her albums so she's clearly well well liked and uh, appreciated Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I've only just,
1: done two, but I would I would recommend both. Are we going to do, do the one, one from
3: more. the 90s, the the other one Love, whatever it is, with um I don't Love think so. So. Love Something Deluxe. Likes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> John <laughs> White, yeah. did this appear Oh, by the way, did this appear on a list somewhere? Like It
1: did. Why, I'll have to look at what list it was. I feel okay. like it showed up on like it's either the pitchfork list or the NME list. I can't remember mm, which it. one, but it was definitely when we were looking to fill in some of the stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Careless Whisper is on a Wham! album. I just I googled it quick to be sure, and it said it said by George Michael. So then I saw a bunch of there's conflicting information on the internet. But yes, it is on their second well, and final well, album, Make It Big. Quick, quick cleaning of the stacks, Matt. Stop mm-hmm. correcting me if you're if you're wrong on stuff. Come on. Yeah, man. I know. You're I got to stop doing that.
1: For,
3: yeah. <laughs> I got to double check myself. Right, but the internet 23% led me astray. Of the time.
2: Maybe George Michael wrote it, and that's why it says by George Michael.
3: No, the yeah. other guy, the Ridgely guy. Well, it's, actually, they're both co writers on it, it's saying here. so
2: Complicated. That it also is. has
1: some sexy sax on that album. Too. It sure does, yeah. Mm-hmm. And urgent vocals. So I think those are keys of Sophista Rock. Urgent vocals, a love so- lost, and sax. Sophista Rock. Sophista awesome. Pop, also. Sophista Pop, yes. Sophista Pop is funk? a better term. No, I don't think so. I think you're you're either like if you're gonna have a different type of funk, it's gonna be like dirty, you know, dirty funk or like you know something like that. I don't think you can't have sophista funk. No, I kind of just can have the renegades of funk. Yeah, it (laughs) doesn't have a label really for that. After if you go sophista funk, I think you're in a You're like in a type of R and B at that point. I think so. Mm. Yeah. Okay. We're right on. That ends. I just realized it's it's all Brits
2: this week too.
1: Ah, on our show Look at that across the pond mm-hmm. so all right, had a presence in the 80s especially on MTV my god they were they were killing it on MTV yeah. in the early days
3: Matt all you're right, killing so we're, it too yeah so Phil Collins no jacket required in the opening montage you heard a clip from Susudio and now you're going to hear a clip from Take Me Home No So, Phil Collins, No Jacket Required, comes in at number 269 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums, number 22 in 1985, number 1,699 of all time. It is Phil Collins' second highest-rated album on Best Ever Albums, behind his 1981 debut release, Face Value, Hmm. um, which we did not cover and uh, again this did not make rolling stones list but uh, phil collins is ranked number 387 of overall artist rankings on best ever albums and no jacket required is his third studio album that was recorded between may uh, and december of 1984 and it was released on february 18th 1985. it included four singles that were all top 10 hits on the billboard charts including uh, two number ones two number one hits susudio and one more night And then as well as uh don't lose my number and take me home rounding out the other singles hitting the charts in uh, the billboard it was generally received favorably by the critics and won grammy for album of the year in 1986. it sold over 12 million copies in the us and 2 million in the uk being the second highest selling album in the uk in 1985 behind brothers in arms And total, this has sold over 25 million copies worldwide, and I looked on Wikipedia, it's the number 40th, the 40th highest uh, selling album of all time. So this was kind of a banger. Mm -hmm. So a little history on Phil Collins, he was born Philip David Charles Collins on January 30th, 1951 in London, and he started playing the drums when he was five when he was given a toy drum. Uh, uncles also made him some makeshift drum kits. And over the years, his parents bought him better sets. And he practiced, uh, often, oftentimes practiced, by playing along to songs in the television and the radio. Uh, he had some influences, including, of course, the Beatles and, and Ringo Starr, as well as a band called Action, which is a band that I've never heard of, but apparently was a pretty big influence on mm. Phil Collins and their drummer, uh, who, uh, int- whose work introduced Phil Collins to the, the soul music found on Motown and Stax Records. Um, He had some formalized uh, training around the age of 12, but um, he never really learned to read or uh, write musical notation, which he later said that he regretted. Uh, He started a few bands, and at 14 he quit quit school to attend a school called the Barbara uh, Speak Stage School. And uh, this was uh, like an acting type school and he started becoming an actor. He was actually uh, had an uncredited, was an uncredited extra in the film Hard Day's Night. I think we might have talked about that, that Phil Collins was in that The Beatles movie as a teenager uh, extra, like in one of the crowds or something like that.
2: So, Matt, it looks like Action was a one of those bands that was not successful and only put out one album but became highly influential. So Got it. it. Okay, that, that tracks. From the mid-60s.
3: Mm-hmm. So Phil Collins, he's, he's cast. He has a couple roles in various films. Uh, and he worked at, also worked at the Marquee Club, which is where he saw Action Perform as well as Yes. And um, he tried out for some other bands, uh, toured with a band called the Cliff Charles Blues Band and then he had a stint with another band called the gladiator so he's kind of moving around and also around this time he learned of a vacancy in the band yes and he spoke to frontman john anderson about the role and he was invited to audition and i don't know i, th- I think he, he just didn't show up i think maybe he didn't have the interest <laughs> in it or whatever he just didn't show up and he said later on he would have wondered you know what would have he's, happened if he tried out for that and then went into a totally different direction he said no I said no. I no to, what do you he said, said no? To totally yes. different
1: direction? He would have been a drummer in a different prog rock band. So like, but maybe he been... would have stayed there
3: longer or something like that, and he wouldn't have been Or know, not have sung her. Right. Know. And didn't exactly. yes
1: change members like every two years anyway, so he still might have ended up in Genesis because I think they the would drummer have just, that they yeah.
3: ended up with stood with him for a while, but I mean, but okay. yeah. So um he then played in uh, with another band called Flaming Flaming Youth, which is the first band that uh he was with that secured a rec- recording contract. And in July of 1970, he answered an advert and melody maker for Genesis, who were looking for a new advert. drummer. Well advert. Well done,
1: Matt. Nice British right. uh,
3: drop there. Yep, That's right. Uh, so I always like the story. I don't think we talked about this, but when he went to the audition, it was at Peter Gabriel's parents' house, and he got there early. So he was it wasn't his turn to uh, to audition yet. So he spent some time swimming in in the pool in Gabriel's <laughs> parents' pool, listening to the others drummers audition, and he in doing so memorized all the parts, like learned all the all the parts that they you know heard the songs, and uh, and he got the job. Oh wow! Smart. Joining the band of Genesis, yep. And so we talked about Genesis uh, for a number of albums uh, last last season. Um, and after 1975, uh, Peter Gabriel left the band, uh, and Phil Collins became the lead singer. Um, and at this time, Phil Collins also worked throughout the whole career, really. He worked with a variety of different artists. He did play on with Brian Eno. He played with Eric Clapton, who they were very good friends with. Um, and uh, he, he played on Brian Eno's Another Green World, which is another album that we covered. In February of 1981, he released his first solo album, Face Value, whose main theme had to deal with the recent divorce that he went through with his wife, and it was a success, hitting number one in various countries, number seven in the U.S., and it had the the the, the hit in the Air Tonight. Um, In September of 1981, Genesis released Abacab, and he took part in the in a performance of where all in 1982 where all the members of Genesis got back together for a, uh, I think it was a benefit of some sort. Um, but really he just starts fluctuating between, you know, doing a solo album and Genesis. He, he releases his second album, hello, I must be going in 1982, which also had a theme of dealing with marital problems. So you can see a theme <laughs> generally with Phil Collins here, of not doing too well with the marriage thing. Um, that album sold well, included a cover of you can't hurry love by the Supremes, which became his first number one hit in the United Kingdom, uh, and um, he other per- performed on other albums uh, by Robert, uh, a particular album with Robert Plant, and then Genesis released their self-titled album in 1983. Um, and February 1984, Collins, re- this is a great story, he released his single Against All Odds, which in my opinion is the best Phil Collins song. Um, I think, a- John, you felt the same way too, right? Yep. Oh, it's yep. the only answer. That's so you clearly, so you yeah. will li- you might particularly like the story. So this was a song that was not on a Phil Collins album. It was from uh, the soundtrack of the film with the same Against name, Against All Odds. Against yeah. All Odds. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever see that one, Josh?
2: No, but um I definitely when we were talking about that song before, I looked it up and it looks it, pretty, it's Jeff, pretty Jeff Jeff Bridges. Good. Yeah. It looks like
1: Vision Quest in the like <laughs> in kind of like the video, you know what I mean? It has the same type of vibe that like Vision Quest had, but I don't know it's that's not true. a sports movie.
3: No. I mean, we're um, like the, yeah, anyway, the visual yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah. So this song was his first song to go number one on the U.S. Billboard charts. And it won a Grammy for Best Pop Male Vocal Performance and was also nominated for an Academy Award, which leads me to this amazing story. So he, he wanted to perform the song at the uh, Academy Awards ceremony so he schedules his tour kind of around it to make sure that he'd be able to to make the show in LA and i guess his representation reached out to the producers of the academy awards and um they got a they got a letter back from from um from the academy saying thank you for your note regarding phil cooper <laughs> um i'm afraid the spots have already been filled so essentially what happened was they got i think at the time what they did was they got other singers or or actors to sing the songs that were being nominated rather than the performers that actually mm, performed okay. <laughs> performed the songs so the academy got some actress named Anne Reinking, to perform the song instead. And the LA times did a review saying <laughs> Ryan King did an incredible job of totally destroying a beautiful song. Um, I did watch this. You can pull this up on YouTube and watch the mm-hmm. performance. It's really bad. Oh, <laughs> um, just... She's kind of lip syncing it and half th- halfway through she's, she's not even singing anymore because it becomes like a performance dance piece, like ballet. Mm. So she ends up dancing with this other guy. Yeah, and, she's
2: uh, a, she's a Broadway person. She was involved with uh, Bob Fosse and, uh, okay um so i don't i can't remember her singing voice but she's probably better known for it i mean her
3: voice is is fine it wasn't yeah. the voice but it was like the arrangement that she chose to go with it it's just like then the choices that she made were just like ah oh, i mean that song is so phil collins you know yeah. so um so yeah so phil collins and actually he was there to, he was at the academy awards watching her perform his song oh, so geez. he was <laughs> um and uh, so, yeah, so he would later introduce the song at, at, uh, at, at, at his concert, saying, I'm sorry, Miss Ann Reinking couldn't be here tonight. I guess I just have to sing my own song. So, um, yeah. So in 84, Collins produced the Philip Bailey album, Chinese Wall, which included the song Easy Lover. So you guys might have been mm. familiar with that another, song. That is
1: another good strong.
3: Yep. Yep. Great video, too. Um, and in 1984, he was a member of Band-Aids Do, you, Do They Know It's Christmas. And, uh <laughs> yep and so the That's sessions got to go on what...
2: the mix john <laughs> <laughs> uh, the holiday mix. about that uh, yeah. yeah that might have to
3: be left out it is so, the 80 so we might have to yeah yeah i think you might um so then he starts the sessions for what would become no jacket required and this was a conscious attempt to make a more up tempo danceable upbeat record um it's not so much about divorce anymore although there is some divorce <laughs> they bought this they're still happening yeah. on this record but it's what? a little less this, uh... So uh, Phil prominent. Collins
1: writes about divorce. Like what are some other like things that like like Bruce Springsteen writes about? Cars. Like cars, yeah. like cars and like Bob Dylan writes about God and and Bono writes about his mother. I think those are the <laughs> corollaries, right? <laughs> So if we could just continue to create like the the official poster of like what does this guy write about? So Phil Collins yep. gets
3: divorced. Yes. He's the divorce guy for sure. He's lost a lot mm-hmm. of money in his divorce settlements as well. I came to mm. find out. So, uh, so some of these songs were the results of improvisations. All odds. So- <laughs> <laughs> some of the songs were the result of improvisations on the drum machine, including Susudio and "One More Night." Lots of uh, lots of drum machine on here, John. I can't wait to hear your take on on the drum machine that's prominent throughout this record. Um, the album title, which we alluded to earlier, came from an incident in Chicago where Collins and Robert Plant went in to eat Uh, went to this uh, restaurant to eat and Collins was denied entrance because of the jacket required policy of the restaurant, even though he was actually wearing a jacket. But according to the restaurant, the people in the restaurant was saying that the uh, that the jacket was not proper for admittance. (laughs) So they would not let him go in. Of course, Robert Plant did go in and have a meal and hang out and they kicked Phil Collins out. Um, And later TV appearances on on uh, Letterman and Johnny Carson Collins would would tell the story and publicly denounce the restaurant, and uh, <laughs> later on, after Phil Collins took off, um, the restaurant apologized by sending him a sports coat and telling him that he could return at any time, regardless of what he was wearing. And the fo- the album cover of this uh, of this record is uh, going along with this theme of all of his solo albums have close-ups of his face yeah uh, you might notice the red slash orange tint of this record that was done on purpose to represent the quote-unquote hot up-tempo nature of the record <laughs> and the sweat <laughs> that uh the dancing you could have given me 20 guesses and i would have never come close to that See, but continue yep, it's, a, it's a hot record john um a couple of tidbits here take me home does anybody know what that song's about
1: uh, uh lyrics guys uh <laughs> Uh, you know? I yeah. so I'm thinking I don't have any I'd idea be surprised
3: if you got this uh, yeah. it's it's uh, it's an homage to one flew over the cuckoo's nest it's it's actually from the perspective of somebody in a mental institution
4: hmm.
3: really and it was also used here's another thing you got maybe wrestling fans out there that you guys are know this that this was okay. the closing theme song for the World Wrestling Federation's television show Saturday night's main event for several years in the late 80s really Mm -hmm. wow Wow. i did not (laughs) know that that. either
1: (laughs) Mm -mm. i Um, remember the um the 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 starting song
3: but i can't remember okay wow i don't yeah okay okay continue Mm -hmm. oh there you go um As years went on, Collins actually became unhappy with this record and grew to dislike it. In a 2016 interview with Rolling Stone, he said, in retrospect, that it's among his least favorite records that he ever made, saying, quote, At the time, I wasn't being me. I've grown up a bit now and much prefer to play songs that are me. I only play a bit part in that that one. Hmm. Um, So he's not a fan of this. Um, I also found this story funny, which just random trivia here. In interviews during the tour that followed this record, it was remarked by interviewers that the singer appeared similar to actors Bob Hoskins and Danny DeVito. And Collins. <laughs> Definitely ch-
1: Bob Hoskins. I can see that. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. So
3: Collins joked that all three of them could play the three bears from the story Goldilocks and the Three Bears. <laughs> Danny DeVito heard about the idea and contacted Phil Collins and Bob Hoskins about making a film. Collins researched the bears and a script was actually planned with Kim Basinger reportedly wishing to play the role of Goldilocks. (laughs) (laughs) However, problems arose mostly involving the script and the three actors abandoned the film. So that sadly never happened. Um. Well, the
2: problem is that idea is bad.
1: So, <laughs> I,
3: <laughs> well, it's also 1985, Josh, and there was lots of. I also have never
1: thought of Danny DeVito and Phil Collins looking similar, like Bob Hoskins for sure. But did it's you like ever the think
3: short, Danny DeVito bald and guy thing going? I don't. Yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah, Danny DeVito they're both short and like bald, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's really the seems,
2: only similarity I see.
3: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. yeah and finally, um, I finally uh, Phil Collins has said that the lyrics to uh, "Don't Lose My Number" were improvised, and that he himself does not fully understand what they mean either. <laughs> so.
1: That makes two of us. <laughs> okay, because yeah. There's a lot of songs that that could be the theme for on this. That's why when you yeah. said this song one more night's about something, I'm like, really? Do tell.
3: So. Yep. So. Uh, I got a few more uh, uh this is the last time we're covering we're only only time we're covering phil collins so i got some things to say at the end but let's start with our reviews here and i think john you are up got well yeah i mean let let me riff on the,
1: the idea of a phil collins album is hilarious to me because i don't know if there's anybody i think of as just a loose collection of singles and videos than phil collins maybe more in the world like that I I think of him as a singles act, you know? So like I knew he had albums that sold. And I also knew that each was probably stuffed with songs that I would know, right? But if you had said to me, what album is this Phil Collins? First of all, I sometimes have a hard time differentiating between a Phil Collins song and a Genesis in the 80s song. So that's Mm -hmm. number one. Number two, outside of In the Air Tonight, which I know was on his first album, right? Because it was kind of the big thing that broke through yep. um you could it could be a funny game like okay name which album this phil collins song is on i'd be i don't know it could have been on any of them you know what i mean because they there's not really themes that i think is it not like bowie
3: collins. john where you have to you have to know where the album He's the answer
1: bowie <laughs> and that like each bowie <laughs> album to me represents like a distinct period you know where he's t- doing an exact thing and shifting like phil collins and that's not a knock he's just the ultimate there's an argument to be made that phil collins is like the second or third biggest pop star of the 80s right i mean michael jackson's one but then you i think most people go oh prince or lionel richie or this guy it's probably in sales and stuff you could make a pretty good argument that it's phil collins in a lot of ways um i I think
2: i think his sound is essential 80s and defines. and that's what i mean he kind
1: of defines it in in I, I, and not to, I mean, there's so many ways. The drum machine, which you mentioned, Matt, is is so omnipresent on this album. It's impossible to hear 80s Phil Collins without hearing the drum machine. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it blasts you over the head and it's right there. There's also, um, I don't think I ever noticed it about Phil Collins songs in the 80s. I, I, and I say that because he has a 90s career, but it's actually very similar to his 80s career. But I I always thought of Phil Collins like a mix between pop and I know he always had like a Motown or classic soul type of thing he was going for. But really, the more I listen to this album and just and think about it, uh, the repetition on his tracks is – that stands out. It's almost mm. like uh, how – like Krautrock was, the metronomic stuff. And, and I really noticed it um, – on you know uh like take me home right where there's that like and it's it stays throughout the entire thing and he's just layering similar sounds on top of it i don't know if i ever put two and two together on that because you just hear phil collins's voice but really as much as phil collins's voice the drum machine is is phil collins he to some degree is the personification of the drum machine Mm -hmm. for me uh my mileage varies on the drum machine, so it, in this one, it was neither a hindrance nor a helper. Um, I think it kind of was just there, even though I mentioned it's so prominent. I don't know if it moved the balance one way or the other to me. Uh, Phil Collins writes catchy hooks, um, and that's probably the strength of this album across uh, the board. I was waiting to see if there was, like, a deep cut that would present itself to me, but no, Susu Studio, One More Night, you know, Don't Lose My Number, Take Me Home. They're, they're the... They're easy to identify as the four singles. Um, I was trying to think of what even could have been a fifth single on this album. And I was like,
3: I'd say hmm. long, long way to go.
1: That's what I would have guessed. Would I liked been. only
2: you, you know, and I know actually.
1: Okay, <laughs> so, so, yeah, but I mean that I would guess, though, that yeah. if I said name the four singles, it wouldn't have been very hard to figure out what they are, both by omnipresence, but right. also sonically. If you didn't know them, they clearly are the ones uh the lyrics on this album are horrible but that's okay (laughs) they weren't designed i mean susu studio is notably a terrible song lyrically and um yeah it, it is it's terrible don't lose my number is a pretty awful song lyrically the love songs are very boilerplate to say the the most i agree with phil collins i i don't understand a couple different songs what they're about um even like One More Night, it, it it's kind of, it's clearly about, um, you know, like a love lost. But that's why it's so incredible to me that he wrote Against All Odds, because that song is fantastic. You know, it's lyrically, it's simple, but it's profound in its own way. Some of that, though, is because Phil Collins can really freaking sing, and he imbues that with a lot of emotion. And so that's kind of a, an incredible thing about Phil Collins. He can take kind of nonsense material and give it a little bit of heft, which is to some degree what a great pop star is, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm very much in the middle on this album. It it is the sound of the 80s. It's also, like, almost impossible for me, even before American Psycho sort of mentioned, you know, that they played Susu Studio and stuff, it always did have a vibe of, like, cocaine to me, Phil Collins, (laughs) like, albums. And, like, once that came in, I laughed because it's like, yeah, I, I, I can see exactly what the, you know, the... Uh, Brett Easton Ellis, right, as the guys. Mm-hmm. I can see exactly what he saw, because I always thought, like, this definitely always had the vibe of, like, cocaine. Like, and I don't know what it is about Phil Collins that, that <laughs> seems very 80s and very 80s coke to me, but it always has had that vibe for me. I don't know if it's the drum machine or sort of just the fact that it can be both in the front and background music, but um, I, I must mention that I I think of I have never done cocaine, but I think if I did, Phil Collins would be playing in the background as I did the cocaine to some degree. So in I must the air tonight,
2: that. that would be great.
1: I yeah, imagine to do coke too. Yeah, like doing air drums while you do <laughs> yeah. you know snort the line, or or you snort the line while the drum machine is coming in, take right? Me yeah, uh, take me home. Yeah, take me home. Yeah, because the song's build, right to these yeah. like crescendos with the drum machine like just pounding, but it's an artificial drum machine, so I don't I don't get the vi- some people really the drum machine gives them that visceral feels. I think especially people that love hip hop because mm-hmm. they're used to the drum machine so much. Like I get much more of a a rush from like the true drum, you know, the drum pad sound than I do of the drum machine sound which sounds a little sterile to me at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is the definition of a thumbs in the middle album for me. It's you can't dislike this album, but I wouldn't say Solo, just Phil Collins in general to me is the definition of he's right there, and what else is he? He's right there, and that's where he resides for me. So that's my personal take.
2: Well, you said '80s Coke, sign me up because this album mm-hmm. rules. I, knew I... You'd <laughs> like this album. I don't know why
1: I knew you'd like this album, but I knew you'd like this. Album. It's
2: uh, it's you know, it's up there with Huey Lewis and sports, and I think part it's of in it the same lane. Yep, it is part of it is kind of that defining 80s sound i really respond to that the catchy hooks definitely got me on this and i think i really is it like 80s the...
1: blue-eyed soul is that kind of what the huey lewis phil collins i think i is? think so
2: um, okay and i i just really like his drumming in the drum machine um i thought kind of every track on here is is solid and made me want to sing along to it one more night i think at one point it must have, like, be in my DNA somewhere because I feel like it was played all the time at some point, mm-hmm. And, like, I I kind of, like, <laughs> responded to it on some sort of, like, baby level. Like, I was a baby and it was, like, played <laughs> for me or something. A like, baby <laughs> level. Wow, that's... <laughs> you know, I like Josh was pretty much in utero right? when this album yeah. came out.
4: So, you know. No, I was we'll alive. we need to go but... into
2: a
1: deeper context of what baby level is for you. Is it, like, <laughs> it
2: means, like... It's like a lost, a long lost memory that when you, when you yeah. hear it, it like triggers your, mm. you know, that you're secretly a Cold War spy or something. That's like, <laughs>
1: that's why. So like a, a dark, like, uh, <laughs> what is that called? Like uh like a trigger. Like Manchurian a trigger. Candidate. Yeah, you're like exactly. the Manchurian. Exactly.
2: Resist, Manchurian memory yeah. Somewhere.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah. It like activates my status from, mm-hmm. from, from somewhere beyond. I, I don't know. I just like, it, there's some like, lost memory i have of that song but i because i can recognize it so so um uh, strikingly but yeah i I really liked kind of the stuff i didn't know on this obviously the the big four it's are are the ones that everyone will recognize i thought who said i would is crazy because it's got like vocoder there's like crazy percussion on it horns Mm -hmm. like it's got everything and then um and then uh take me home i would recommend the bone thugs version if you haven't heard that um, that is great and it's just who uh, said i
1: would is the is probably the most coke song on this entire album by the way I'd <laughs> yeah like to for say sure, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and then um it it just a long long way to go it has this kind of this slightly asian sounding like drum beat to it or or sound um, that i picked up on and i don't know it this is just like it, it, indelible 80s to me and and i really love it for that reason oh the last song we said hello goodbye kind of has this big strings to it and it almost sounds like george gershwin or something um so i, I that think that was I actually
3: just... not part of the original album josh just after oh. like that was something that was added that was like an extra bonus track that was added on later so
2: okay interesting well throw it out take take back what I said I don't Yeah I didn't I didn't listen to non-album it, but no you no. got
1: <laughs> I I did too Josh cuz I yeah. was curious as yeah. to what it was it's it's it doesn't fit with the rest of the album in some ways so it makes no, sense No that yeah it's that's made a good point mm-hmm.
2: um and uh yeah it's just kind of a, a an infectious sound for me and it's it's easy listening in the way that Sade is I could just put this on and and uh it, it like Sade... Or unlike Sade, it works in any situation in any time, and uh, for me at least, and it's great, so thumbs up hmm.
3: well, first off i think I think Josh, you were supposed to go first there, so oh, my bad I, I'm screwing that up I'm <laughs> cleaning cares? John's stacks, when I should be cleaning my stacks Who like cares? I'm just off tonight, you know, so um you do that so-
1: cleaning your stack on your own time man. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh, so yeah, actually this album I've known for a while. This is one of the few CDs that my parents had. Um, Mm. and I remember the play and I, I feel I've, I've I've always liked Phil Collins. It was one of my, you know, childhood artists that I would listen to. Um, maybe my parents had the album. That's why. possibly. Uh, I need well, to ask. are one forty million people did, so <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a good chance good that your chance. parents had it too. So, I, I, think... I have to
1: give. I have to give my thing too. My dad would often reference Phil Collins used to be good to his yeah. '80s career, so that was where I my entry point was. Yeah, John's dad why. was not yeah.
3: listening to uh, No Jack. He was Required. wishing he was
2: in Yes. That's I
3: mean. Yes, right. Uh, I I don't know. The, when I was thinking about this, Phil Collins to me just generally, if you look at his overall career, he's got to be one of the most fascinating artists in pop music history i mean start Mm -hmm. off like Mm -hmm. you know start off as an actor kind of this like weird kind of that's the track he was going on and then he becomes like he's a drummer that gets into this like prog rock band that's successful but also very niche but also became very influential later on and then takes the mantle of that and then to, becomes a totally pop er, arena rock pop yeah. oriented kind then has With this like fasci- no
1: sex appeal by the way which right. is right yeah fascinating yeah mm-hmm.
3: and he has this booming solo career in the 80s and he's got this other band that's it's massively successful i mean uh invisible touch came out the year after this and it's oh, wow. just as yeah. big you know that was a huge the videos and all that stuff and the touring mm-hmm. um and then like he continues the solo career, and then he does like the Tarzan, he does like the Disney thing, and which
2: like, uh, yeah, I think to a certain demographic, like people associate Phil Collins with Tarzan, sure, because I think a lot of people know those songs
3: uh, yeah. very well, and, and, and there's there's this they're selling a ton of albums, and then there's this like question of like is he critically revered, kind of, but then he's also got this really vitriolic hatred that's happening at the same time. <laughs> he also has
1: that weird credibility in, like, hip-hop. Which that's, and that's what I was going to say. Yeah.
3: Right, and then it goes into this other direction where, like, people in hip-hop sample his stuff and love what he's doing and speak very highly of him. So he's all over the freaking place, you know? And it's mm-hmm. just... And uh, he's, he's, people say that he's really cantankerous and really difficult to deal with. And other people talk about how affable and, and friendly he is. And <laughs> it's just, he's, and so it's really, and you should just listen to the Gallagher's from Oasis talk about him. It's just freaking hysterical, you know? Oh my so gosh. Uh, he's just, he's, he's a little He's also like British, guy.
1: but doesn't come, a, very British, but also doesn't come across British in certain contexts, which mm-hmm. also is a fascinating well, thing.
3: Well, he and he was a tax exile as well, you know, and that's <laughs> okay. something that he. he
1: oh, he, okay.
3: That people would, because he made a comment once about like, avoiding the taxes. And so everybody was like, well, he's this like strong right wing kind of like politically leading thing. He's like, no, not really. He's like, but anyway, so there's like misunderstandings about that. And, um, mm-hmm. but anyway, but as far as this record goes, um, I, yeah, I I'm, a am biased. I, I love this as well. This is upbeat. This is not, uh, this is just a fun record and it's, it's very much eighties. It's very produced. It's got all this synthetic, you know, natures of music just all, all over the place. There might be hardly any natural things happening here except for his voice. There's not, like, any effects that he's doing with his voice. But it's upbeat. It's it's fun. Um, and then, but, you know, a song like Long, Long Way to Go, which is was not a single, I think that's a great song. And that actually, did you pick up on who the background singer was in that song, either of you?
1: Hmm. In Long, Long Way to Go? Long, Long Way to Go. No. No, well, it's probably... My favorite song on the album. So I'll oh, give yeah? it that. That mm-hmm. was,
3: uh, this is the second time, well, not in a row, but close, that we're getting Sting making an oh. appearance of. Uh, that makes sense. Yep. When I think about
1: it, yeah. And he also it sounds like and... a solo Sting song.
3: Yeah, kind of. I, I see that. But I think it's just got a, I think that there's really great melodies on here, which just comes to me. You know, Sasudio is just a great opening track. I mean, what energy and the horns, and it's just like yeah it's 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 a great it's a great way to open the record um i i Matt, you know that yeah would
1: you say that like a lot of this album is like homages or variations like only you and i know is like a huey lewis song like um who said i would is kind of like almost an attempt to do a prince song i feel like um well,
3: studio actually it's funny you bring up prince because the studio he, he was uh people said that he was ripping off Prince with Susudio with, um, because the beginning of that's mm. very much sounds like 1999. Yes. There's a very similar kind of thing going on. And, and in response, Bill Collins said, yep. yeah, I probably did. I was listening to a lot of Prince back then and he's <laughs> yeah great. That so one I, and I, I, I said I, I would have.
1: both sound like Prince songs to some degree. I, I noticed that as I was going on.
3: Like, yeah. And it's yeah. like, and there's the soul thing going on here. You know, there's, there's other homages going but lots of horns and, um, Yeah, I don't think, like I said, I don't think he's, he's not rewriting anything here. He's certainly, you know, you know, picking up just kind of going where other people have gone already, but just doing it in a very conscious way of like, I want to make a big album with a lot of hits and he succeeds here and he does it in a very, you know, for the time, you know selling the 40 million. I mean, most of those 40 million copies are probably being sold between 1985 and 1989. You know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's probably not, you're mm-hmm. not selling 5 million albums of this in like, you know, in the, in the late nineties. Um, but well, yeah, cause I when think, Phil
1: Collins career ended, it ended quick, you know, it was yeah. like, he was huge and then he wasn't. So, yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, he was still out there, but yeah, he, his success was very much, you know, centered in the eighties when, you know, what was mm-hmm. going on. But, um, yeah, I don't think there's a bad song on here. I, you know, it's it's the song like doesn't. Anybody oh, there stay definitely again. is.
1: Inside Out's an awful <laughs> song.
3: Well, I, I I'm fine with it. I I don't okay melodically. You know, I mean, well, I'm not talking lyrically again either. Although doesn't anybody stay together anymore makes me laugh. I think that's just a funny <laughs> album title. I, mean, basically oh, I, so- I
1: think Inside Out was bad both lyrically and it's so repetitive. It's long it's, too. It's yeah. long. Uh, yeah, that one. I would I, agree there are not real stinkers outside of that one which I absolutely Well like I said I I I
3: this is an album I was very familiar I forgot it's one of those records I forgot how familiar I was with it but as I listened to it it's like oh yeah I know this song oh right this song you know so um and I've always I've always liked all of this but yeah I mean I think the singles are the ones that stand out the most I really think Take Me Home is a really really good song I, I just like I love the way it builds I, and and his voice is just you're, you're right John. like he's got that's one of the great that's one of the reasons why um Uh, what's that song? Uh, Against All Odds is so great. His the his passion. You know, he's he's Mm -hmm. he belts it, and he's got a really great. He's got a great raspy kind of quality to to his voice. That's um that's very appealing to me. So Phil Collins gets a lot of slack. People like talk about how much they hate him and how he's not a cool artist to like you Know these days, and you know, he's kind of like got a Billy Joel thing going on. I always felt that those guys both got very, I, I agree, they're like they're easy non sexy pop stars, correct? Yes. But, um, mm-hmm. but I will, I, I'm fine with both of them. I don't need to, you know, say I hate them to feel like I'm being cool. Like, I don't, I don't know why the, the hatred is there as much as it is. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thumbs up on this. I'm, I am biased, but it's, it's a fun record, and I, uh, uh, don't lose my number. That's a <sighs> that 's really, it doesn 't make any sense, but yes musically slightly it
2: 's slightly threatening, but doesn 't make sense
3: right <laughs> right <laughs> but um, hilarious and the, and the video I always remember the video because uh, that was being played all the time the guy that 's stabbing himself with the arrow and, and whatnot so uh, so it 's a fun record it 's a fun record um you don 't go this for don 't go to this for any artistic credibility you know or like you, you, you know uh, but if you just want a fun record t- uh, to lose yourself in you could you could certainly do worse than this, so I'm, I'm a thumbs well, up here.
1: I, I always have appreciated that Phil Collins has a lot of self-awareness, probably sometimes at his, you know, he kind of yeah. always has struck me as having almost like a little bit of a depressive side to him, which isn't mm-hmm. cool. Oh, yeah. I, wish he, I wish he enjoyed his success more, but he's, he's very interesting because there's stuff about Phil Collins I really like, like we've mentioned, like Easy Lover is a great blue-eyed mm-hmm. soul type. I mean, also Phil Bailey's awesome, so that helps as well, but Against All Odds is a, top-tier ballad there's other phil collins songs i like a lot and then he does like the motown montage which i hate it's like oh why did you can't hurry love and like oh yeah it seems like all the i'm like oh god like that that did not need to happen right and then like susu studio which i know you guys i knew i knew you guys were gonna love this album and i (laughs) knew i was gonna be neutral on it so i was like i'm gonna give a lot of space but i'm gonna at least set the set the tone so you guys can do it but it's just very funny because A Groovy Kind of Love is another song I really dislike. Um, what uh, about, the, what the about the one about the – like, oh, You oh, Remember another Day is in Paradise. a great did song. You
3: like, did you like Another Day in Paradise? I didn't just
1: like Another Day in – I actually oh, okay. like his ballads a little. Like I like Do You Remember, Another Day in Paradise. And I think maybe I might be a little bit more of a um, – I'm, I'm probably more of a Phil Collins ballad guy. I'm mm. definitely not a Phil Collins sings classic soul like – Two Hearts is another song I have no <laughs> interest in whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and, and then the, the, like, bigger hits, you know what I mean? Like, I, they're kind of right in the middle for me, right? So, and that's why I find him fascinating because I also think he's another one of these guys that could have easily had the U2 fate where he's, like, a, a thing of the 80s who's huge and then, like, after it, it's like he doesn't exist. But, yeah, mm-hmm. then hip-hop saved him. And there's no guy less cool, Right, than Phil Collins, which makes the hip hop thing even more hilarious to me. So, and it's really like the drum machine, right? And uh, that's, I think that's what it is. And like, then, and and the way he can sing with the passion. So, that transcends. So, I think you're right, Matt. He is one of the more interesting characters in pop music.
3: Yeah, there's, it's just, going in so many different directions you know that mm-hmm. most yeah. people once they go in that direction they kind of stay there and the fact that it diverts so much it's like how the hell is the guy who's drumming on get it out by friday right <laughs> like, I, like i also do, do one more night you know or like yeah
1: i also think you're right matt he is sort of evolutionary billy joel but i'm a much bigger fan of phil collins's stick than i am mm-hmm. of um yeah billy joel's i think and I, and i but,
3: and the other yeah. thing too is i get it i i mean on the one hand i also get why people are just like oh <laughs> like you know because both of them for omnipresent you know and if it represents yeah. something that you're just annoyed with and the fact that everybody likes it and sells tens of millions of copies that can make people that can turn people off even more so i i, I do understand that but i also feel like it's unfair it's like ah, just let him be who he is you know because it's, yep. it's i don't think it's that bad but um yeah fascinating dude um so a, a couple of uh, postscripts here so he goes and then like I said he did it in Invisible Touch with Genesis. Um he was actually performed at Live Aid and it was the only performer to perform both in London and in the United States. He flew he finished his performance in London then got on the Concord and flew to the US and performed like I yep. think it was the same t- same day Technically, It's pretty well, awesome actually. <laughs> yeah. I have to
1: say that's it's one of the things that I Live Aid was one of my earliest music videos because I can remember mm-hmm. my dad watching it on I want to say like mtv or vh1 close to live and um, yeah. yeah and and the big thing was yeah phil collins took the concord across the atlantic and i also remember he did an awesome version of against all odds that like was epic
3: so yeah mm-hmm. he also I think played that's why i love
1: that song so much
3: he also played drums for a led zeppelin reunion that was widely panned and some people blamed him but he played people in the bass player so that's um, a freaking that's a no. ballsy
1: thing to be the john bonham in the Led. Ze- i mean i give him credit for just taking that on because that's yep. not an easy ask
3: uh he also performed with the who for a couple performances of tommy where he played uncle ernie <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> um, which made me laugh uh and he released his fourth album but seriously in 1989 uh, which um, they had a tour behind it, uh, covering 121 dates, including including a performance at the Saratoga Performing Arts Center in, S- Center in Saratoga Springs, New York, on June 9th, 1990, which was my first concert ever. Oh, Fun Okay, fact there. Yep. nice. Wow. Yep. Burying uh, the lead. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he released the final album with Genesis that he was with uh, with Genesis on in 1991 called We Can't Dance. Um, and then he released his other album, his fifth album, Both Sides, in 93, um, and then 1996 he re- announced his official departure from Genesis, and did his sixth album in 1996, around the same time he was commissioned to score the music and, and record the music for the Disney film Tarzan which had that, what was it? You'll be in my heart, I think was the main song from that. And
1: you're not wrong, Josh. I think for a certain era that's there, I don't even think of him as Tarzan because it's just, I think of him so like almost exclusively as an 80s artist. But I think you're right. There's a whole nother generation of folks that process him, kind of like Elton John, right? Well, that came off the the heels of The Lion King was earlier than Mm -hmm. that,
3: right? And so that was like, hey, let's get, who's the other British performer we could do to do the music Mm -hmm. for a Disney movie? So, um he got his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1999 and released his seventh album in 2002 and reunited for a Genesis tour in 2006. Um, and, John, you will not like his eighth album, which is called Going Back, which is a covers album of 60s Motown songs. So do not listen to that. To that yeah, album. I'll pass on that one. Yep. Uh, Hard introduction, pass. introduction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with Genesis in 2010. And in March of 2020, Genesis announced a reunion for their final tour, which culminated in their final U.S. performance on December 16th, 2021 in Boston, Massachusetts, which I was also in attendance for.
1: (laughs) I remember Um, you previewing that on the show, and it was mm -hmm. like it didn't sound like Phil Collins might show up. Remember, it was sort of like he has having health issues, but I guess he
3: made it, huh? and that's the. Other, I mean, you kind of alluded to it earlier, John, about his health, his uh, his depression and whatever. So yes, he had a lot of depression. He had he's had a lot of health issues. Um, he's got he can't he lost. Uh, some feeling in his arms there's some nerve damage so he couldn't play the drums um he could he has to walk now with a cane he's got really bad back problems hmm. um i actually i remember reading an article back in when i think when i was still living in florida about him and he was just it was one of the most depressing articles i've ever read because you thought that there was going to be some redemption at the end and basically the end of the article was like yeah my life is total crap like my wife my i've lost all my money to my my ex-wives and my kids don't talk to me. And it was like, and that's it. <laughs> it's like, okay. I, I remember <laughs> I a pretty right. famous, I
1: remember a pretty famous um, article where he kind of much like Billy Joel. It was that idea. Like, unlike Billy Joel, who kind of said, it doesn't matter to me if the critics like but you could tell, like it was not true. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. desperately, what like Phil Collins on the other hand was not like that. He's like, I really would have liked to have been better <laughs> received by critics. Yeah, and it was I like, so I so think, I think I've really always get... kind of pulled for his happiness because like I said, I, self-awareness goes a long way to me, but self-awareness that leads to sadness, is I, I feel like Phil Collins deserves a better lot than that. So I, yeah. I do wish him well in whatever time remains for him. And that's why he'll never be a punchline for me, because he did some legitimately great stuff.
3: And he's also a huge fan of, the, uh, of being an Alamo collector. He collects all these artifacts from the Alamo, so he's like, yeah, big Alamo. (laughs) I thought you were gonna
1: say like a championship league English football team. He strikes this this guy who you know who would like Forest Forest Glen or something. I mean, maybe he is too, but he's a big history. Sheffield Wednesday
3: has all all the stuff from the Alamo that he collects. Weird, what a niche, Mm -hmm. niche interesting
2: thing there. Interesting,
1: cool. Well, thank you, Matt, for that Mm -hmm. bio. I really appreciated that. And now we go to probably our I don't want to use obscure, but probably certainly with mega, you know, mega sellers like Sade and um, Phil Collins. Prefab Sprout is probably the most obscure of the three. Josh, take us on a journey.
2: Prefab Sprout. Their album. Steve (laughs) Steve McQueen and Matt. Oh, in the opening uh, montage, you heard um, Appetite and in the now you're going to hear Farron Young.
0: Sky. Like an old radio station without warning, like stumbling over harbor without warning. You offer infrared instead of sun. You offer bubble gum. You give me fire when you're far in the morning. You give me fire when you're far in the morning. Every mother sounds romantic.
2: Of the okay, Matt, what are the stats on?
3: So, Prefab Sprout Steve McQueen comes into number 85 in the 1980s on best ever albums, number 9 in 18, 1985, number 555 of all time. It is their highest rated album on best ever albums. Again, not making Rolling Stones list, but they're rated pretty highly of overall artist rankings in best ever albums, number 340.
2: Interesting. I wonder yeah. if this is the highest ranked artist that I have never heard of before. <laughs> like,
1: I mean, yeah. it's,
3: it's, it's definitely cracked. It's the pure top 100 and best ever albums for the 80s here for yeah. us. So it's legit. Yeah.
1: Well, and full disclosure, uh, Josh, I had heard of this band, but had never heard a song of theirs before. They kind yeah. of existed in the ether for me. So kind of the same thing for me.
2: Mm hmm. So Steve, uh, the album Steve McQueen uh, released in America actually as Two Wheels Good um, in anticipation of legal action from the Steve McQueen estate. (laughs) So that's a fun (laughs) fact. But um, the band itself formed in 1978 in Witten Gilbert in County Durham, England, which is way the fuck up there by Scotland uh, when I looked on a map, um, by the brothers Patty and Martin McAloon and... Michael Salmon was the drummer at the time. Their first single was titled "Lions in My Own Garden," Exit Someone in parentheses, which was a a way for <laughs> Patty to uh, make an acronym of Limoges, where his ex-girlfriend was studying at the time, or then girlfriend was studying at the time. Uh, that was released on February twenty fifth, nineteen eighty two, and self released on their own Candle Records label. Uh, Wendy Smith joined shortly after that and was on keyboards and backing vocals and appears on this album. And their second single was titled The Devil Has All the Best Tunes, which was released in September of 82. Now, on the name of the band, McAloon said in a 1984 interview, quote I was asked about the name so many times I used to invent stories about it the truth of the matter is that I just made it up around that time all the groups were supposed to mean something and when you are 13 you think it's profound that there must be some secrecy I like the idea and so thought of two odd words put them together and have kept it basically because it reminds me of how I used to look at things so no no, uh, secret meaning behind the name of the band they were signed to kitchenware records in 1983 after the record label owner keith richards heard their music at an hmv music store in newcastle he was also managing that store at the time their singles were reissued and elvis costello was said to uh, be fans of theirs or gave them praise off the singles salmon uh left the band the drummer and the and then the band recorded their debut album swoon Um, with session drummer Graham Lant in Edinburgh, and Swoon, incidentally, is an acronym for Songs Written Out of Necessity, and was released by Kitchenware in March of 1984. So this is a band, or Patty is a fan of acronyms, it looks like. It received positive reviews and reached 22 on the UK album charts. Um, and then, uh, since they can't keep drummers, apparently Graham left the band and drummer Neil Conti joined, who is the drummer on this album. Now, interestingly, um, they attracted the attention of Thomas Dolby, who initially praised them on a BBC One radio program. And, uh, Science! We, exactly. We all know Thomas Dolby from Blinded Me with Science as his most famous song. Uh, but he also has a interesting uh, producing career and also Um, interest in electronics and uh, I think
1: that's sick beat for that Houdini song (laughs) that I always think of for Thomas (laughs) Dolby it's awesome yeah
2: and I think he's uh, actually like a professor at Carnegie Mellon or something uh, or or Mm. involved um, in university life in some way now but um, he met with Patty McLoone where McLoon presented him with 40 to 50 songs he had written, some a long time ago, and Dolby picked the ones he liked best and told Patty to make demo recordings. Um, and in the fall of 1984, they began working on making this album, Steve McQueen. The album was produced in two different studios in London, um, with both Dolby and the band citing Amical ex- uh, Experience working together. So this, bi- so this album was produced by Thomas Dolby. Um, and then this album was released on June twenty second, nineteen eighty five, and as I said, it was released as Two Wheels Good" in America, uh, just a not a good title in my opinion. And the single "When Love Breaks Down" was released three times before finding success. Success. So albums or labels definitely like put more time and effort, it seems, in in pushing artists and finding success. For bands, first in October of 1984, before the album was released, um, it peaked at 89 in the UK Singles Chart. Then they released it again in March of 85, and only re- rose to 88, so one spot. And then finally released again in October of 85, after um, the album came out, you know, months before, and it rose to 25 for two weeks in the November and December of 85. Two other singles were released in this time: Fair and Young. Who uh, incidentally is the name of an American country singer who was um, influential and popular. Um, I went on a, I read, read about him as well on a side tangent, um, so that was interesting. And then Appetite was released in uh, August of 85. And their final single was Goodbye Lucille, number one, which was actually released under the name Johnny Johnny in, night, in January of 86, which makes a lot more sense when you listen to the song itself the um, album received positive reviews from critics on both sides of the pond Um, and at the end of the uh, 85 Steve McQueen was named the 4th best album of the year by NME and placed 28th in the Village Voices famous Paz and Job critics poll so well respected Um, I have some postscript not much but let's talk about the album and uh, sounds like none of us had really known about Prefab Sprout so what did you think of it matt
3: yeah i knew absolutely nothing about this and i this is a it's a very interesting record for me um i i didn't the first couple times i listened to it i really didn't know what to make of it and was kind of trending on the negative side initially yes. as i got to listening to it more i really started appreciating the the first half of the record the first particularly the first five songs which i now can say are all to me all really strong uh songs i, I it's 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 kind of hard to describe like what genre this is it's 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 really touching on a lot of different areas um it uh, the production is pretty crisp and clean there's um, a variety of different instrumentation happening and um there's some rock elements there's some there's there's it's certainly it's it's definitely pop um but you're getting stuff like uh, some stuff's new wave some stuff there's bossa nova on here you know there's very synth heavy kind of like almost like a lori anderson kind of vibe Mm. from time to time Um, but I think that the first five songs in particular—they're they're upbeat, they're catchy. By the end of the the, the week, uh, you know, I, I was kind of like I'd be, you know, finding myself getting into a little groove with some of them. So, um, you know, that's Farron Young, Bonnie Appetite, When Love Breaks Down. It's got a really good chorus, and I and and I really like his voice, the lead singer's voice. Um, you know, on a, on a song like Goodbye Lucille, he kind of, you know, there's some belting a little bit more there, and I just like I like how his voice um, kind of picks up and soars a little bit. So I think. So I, I really like the first half. And then the second half is a big mix for me, a big mix bag. Mm. Um, I'm not a fan of Hallelujah. That song to me is – it's really it, – it's annoying. Like it's one of those songs that's easily stuck – and got stuck in my head <laughs> and I didn't want it there. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I don't know – Horsin' and arounds kind of that bossa nova song, and I didn't – it hasn't really done much for me. Blueberry Pies, I'm glad it's only two minutes and 24 seconds. I didn't really – find that doing a whole lot. But then you've got like songs like moving the river desire as, and when the angels like have moments that I like it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like Mm -hmm. the songs kind of go in a direction and they do something different and they kind of come back over here and then they do that. So it jumps around a lot, which probably speaks to why the initial listens were ones that I was not really feeling too much. Um, And even now I'm still like, what is, what's going on here? There's there's, I'm I'm a little confused by some of the directions that they're going. And so, on the one hand, I respect that I kind of it 's interesting you know and they' and they are trying different things, but I also would say it 's still after well now it 's really you know over the course of two weeks of listening to this off and on it still hasn 't fully landed with me so uh, it, there 's a lot of different emotions that I have listening to this it 's like a tale of two different records for me so mm-hmm. um, I, I, I think there 's enough in here for me to give it a slight thumbs up, and definitely the interesting you know nature of the of of the variety of sounds that are happening here uh i i think it's i think it's worth listening to it's 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 unique in that regard but it's definitely not a full thumbs up because there's definitely moments here that I'm going ugh like I don't like I I can just skip over that or I don't like that part or you know certain parts within songs they don't ruin it for me but they definitely make me less um uh, uh, emphatic you know yeah. about about my opinions of them so uh, really interesting listen and it's and and how my opinion of it morphed over time i found that interesting as well but i i'll stand up for the first five tracks i think they're really spot on and that's it it would be a really good ep i you know what i mean if yeah. you just put those five songs on an ep i'd be all for it but it's the second half that i start to lose me on but i'll still give it enough for a little bit of a thumbs up as as an interesting record from a band that i had zero frame of reference on mm-hmm I swear to God, Matt, I think you broke in and stole my notes because <laughs> it's so similar. I was going to say that's what the first was thing too. The first
1: thing I had was this album baffles me. Like yeah. I could, I had no. It was very hard to come up with like a take because. I listened to this we had two weeks right so i probably listened to this album as much as any album we've listened to on the podcast to try to get an angle for this
3: and And this one needed more listens than the other two by far i
1: was as baffled by this album and play i think i listened to this album four times um i was as baffled the fourth as i was the first as to like what my take is like on one hand it has songs like bonnie when love breaks down and um when the angels which i liked quite a bit and i I immediately responded to Bonnie and When Love Breaks Down, and it didn't take me long to find parts of When the Angels, uh, there was even almost like a part in there that had like a little bit of like a ska element to it, just out of the clear blue. Like, and I was like, where did this come from? But like you said, Matt, it's like, here's a weird patch of bossa nova. Here's sort of a jazzy part. Certainly there's a little bit of a new romantic vibe on this as Mm -hmm. well as a new wave vibe on this um it's the lyrics i didn't understand much of what it it was um very generic like the lyrics like not bad or it just it, it could be about everything and anything at the same time um so from that end there wasn't really a lyrical hook to it um i I didn't know the context of when to listen to (laughs) like I was all the things I usually do like is there a time or a better time is it a headphones album is it like none of these things immediately jumped off and so from that end of things it's hard for me to make a recommendation one way or another it also was hard for me to square the enthusiasm of the critical praise with what I was listening to not because it was bad but because I felt like I should have gotten it more even if i there's been things that yeah. i understood the critical praise for even if it wasn't my thing right yeah this or like i immediately got or, or it grew and i could get it like this one certainly in no way was it bad but like at no point did i go ah now i've unlocked the mystery as to why this one is the great hidden gem of the 80s and i i think that sounds more negative than than what i'm going for because i didn't dislike the album i just it's even hard to describe musically, wouldn't you say, guys? And and, and I'll, I'll open it up to you, it, Josh, it is, so we don't yeah. steal all of your take. But I, I kind of want to go back and talk about, like, what were the hallmarks of this album musically? Because I struggled to like if I was describing this album to someone, normally, I'd, yeah. you know, like the Sade album we covered this week, right? Like sax, bass lines and Sade's smooth voice. Right. Phil yep. Collins. Drum machine mixed with like Phil Collins singing blue-eyed soul, right? Like easy to describe quickly, right? This one, I'm like, I don't know what the hallmarks of this are. So, Josh, I, I'm I'm curious, what's your take? Uh,
2: well, well, I I kind of had the same journey you guys went on too. I I've, so this is the definition of sophistipop for me, if we had to define that. Genre. Oh, really? Okay. That is kind of so. It's got kind of this jazzy element to it. His voice is really solid and it's kind of like a croony voice. Um he's like a crooner almost and it it's Like th- I
1: felt like he was going for Brian Ferry, but he wasn't yeah Brian Ferry, you know, like Yeah. Yeah, or almost like a, um uh
2: I'm just blanking on the name, but Harry Connick Jr. almost, or like Michael Bublé or something, um, yeah. Type type of uh, delivery, and um, but then it's got these like, like you guys said, some like weird uh, genre elements to from different genres incorporated, and almost like a, I see the new romantics thing too, and. um Almost kind of the album that came to mind, even though I don't think sonically it sounds the same as like that ABC Lexicon of Love album. I think it's kind of like the same type of thing that it was going
1: for. Yes, Um, yes, I agree.
2: And uh, which is another British album. That's a great
1: comparative, although I like the Lexicon of Love album. And I felt like it was more Morden in... R and B and like black music,
3: I think, mm-hmm. than this one was to some degree. It's more consistent too. Yeah, yes. and I
2: and I was uh, well, not infamously, but I was kind of negative on that Looks kind of Love" album, and, and I think I liked this album more. But I had the same mm. kind of at first. I was like, "What is this garbage?" And then, like, the more <laughs> I lis- the more I listened to it, I was like, "Okay, there's like some catchy melodies in here, and the lyrics are kind of uh, like tongue in cheek and clever." And, um, they, I think the overall feeling I got from a lyrical standpoint was like, he's kind of like this charming cad type of person character person and, you know, love lost and, uh, you know. He had some lyric in one of well, the songs about being a bad this is your bad friend speaking or something like that. Um
1: Baron like Young is almost at times like a Smith song to some yes, degree. Yes, and that song yeah. is
2: not like the rest of the album too. No.
1: It's got this it's almost
2: like a, not a high
1: end Smith song, but
2: a Smith no, no. song. <laughs> yeah. It's it's kind of like Vampire Weekend-esque in some ways Baron okay. uh, Young mm-hmm. especially I think is like that. Um and so yeah, it's kind of like this album as a whole, and I guess this band as a whole, is kind of in- singular <laughs> in some way and indefin undefinable. Um, I agree with you, Matt. I thought those first five songs were like pretty great. Um, mm-hmm. The more I listened to them, and and I was also mixed on the uh, uh, on the back half, but God damn it, "Moving the River" got stuck in my head to to the point mm-hmm. where I woke up singing the chorus this morning at five wow. AM. Okay. Yeah. And um not intentionally. It was just there. Um and and I liked horsing around a, and I liked When the Angels. That song also kind of grew on me the more I like it. So this um what else? It it's got a little uh like ethereal vibe to it, at least in Bonnie it did. Um, I thought the arrangements were pretty good. I think the production is impeccable. It sounded really good. Um, I think that can be attributed to Thomas Dolby unless they like remastered it. Um, I feel like you can hear everything really crisply. And um, I I liked Wendy Smith's uh, backing vocals and accompaniments to the vocals um, a lot. I think she adds an interesting element to it. And it's, it's just kind of like upbeat. I think overall, and, and I responded to that. Um, also, it kind of reminded me... <laughs> here's another note, random note. Oh, like John Mayer at times, like that kind of like smooth laid back yeah. vibe to yeah. it. Um, so it's kind of all over the place, but it. Um, I I think I liked it overall. And it was definitely a grower. The more I listened to it, the more I yeah. liked it. So that is, I guess, as... Yeah, the best praise i can give it
1: (laughs) i think you're right josh that abc lexicon of love album is probably the best corollary i think the reason i like that album better besides the fact that i like the funkier elements of that Mm -hmm. is that it was so campy whereas this played it a lot more straight and i just feel like if you're gonna sing this way i almost hear it as kind of like jokey in its Mm -hmm. own way so the fact that um that they were winking a little bit more played into it. And the lyrics were hilarious on the ABC album, whereas this were a little bit more word soup. So, but that was a really good pull because I do think that's probably the closest. It's a closer comparison than what I was thinking of, which is like sort of like a more generic Roxy music attempt. Um, yep. Yeah. And the, the Harry Connick Jr. thing's another good description of kind of like the crooner style of voice that he's going for. So nice notes there josh i i like that for the onion the uninitiated i guess with the sound oh too. yeah
2: the other the other band that just really popped to mind that kind of this reminds me of this is fits in the tantrums um mm. they are like that in some ways yeah. um so yeah, i guess that would be another do we need corollary.
1: to go to all music to find out who they say <laughs> similar <laughs> oh, artists oh, are yes. influenced by let's do that Okay, I will go ahead and pull that up as you guys give some final thoughts.
3: I also read somewhere in here that somebody that people some people uh, call this the pet sounds of the '80s.
2: Okay, well, I, I, I don't not, agree with that.
1: But I would not agree with that take. <laughs> no.
2: But yeah, like uh, you guys were the if you read the Wikipedia um, part about the re- critical reviews, that is like shockingly positive. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean, all the reviews out. on there are like super, super positive. Yeah, uh, did you? Oh, did you happen to listen to either of you happen to listen to the acoustic versions of these songs that were? Oh no, embedded I in this. So there's like the, the re-release of this had acoustic. I actually really like the acoustics. Like it's it's very it's obviously very stripped down, but like I. I there's something about the way that, the, that he's playing the guitar and everything like that. That's hmm. very. They sound very different, obviously, but um, yeah, I was uh, I listened to that once just because I had some time, and uh, I, I was a fan of that. I thought that was interesting.
4: Hmm.
1: So I'll give you ten of the groups that are similar that we either know or haven't known that would be a little bit because there's some groups I have no idea who they are. Okay. But it has a Aztec Camera, who we've not. Covered, but I know a little bit of who is
2: also name checked by Robert Chris when he reviewed this. Uh, gotcha. Talk so.
1: Talk, who we're going to cover multiple times but haven't done yet. Uh-huh. The Smiths is on here, which I can only see from the first track, the rest did not really sound like it. Squeeze, um, mm. we yep. covered, mm-hmm. but I don't, yep. I think later Squeeze for sure. Uh, Brian Ferry, who I brought up here, so that makes sense. The XTC, which I see elements. We covered them and um, yep. Orange Juice. Who <laughs> yeah. I oh, love. Yeah. I yep. love that yep. album. I once again, much like the ABC album, I think I liked the version that they did of this sound better. It yeah. was a more dance version of this sound, like upbeat version of it. But yes, that's another good comparative point. And then yep. the last one is the Proclaimers, who I really only know through the "I Would Walk I will, Yeah <laughs> Five Hundred <know, 500> miles. <laughs> miles," and I guess. Vocally, uh, the guy sounds similar, but the rest of the song doesn't sound when I similar wake up, at all. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I guess they You said they're very, very Yeah, geographically, yeah. they're kind of from the same neck of the woods, but yep. that's about all huh. I got from that. So there you go. And then uh that's the similar twos, and then followed by's, right, which we were okay. going for. They have Rufus Wainwright, they mm-hmm. have Elliot Smith, Ben Folds, and Bell and mm-hmm. Sebastian. And I have to be honest. None of those four jump out to me immediately as being yeah, bands that are, are artists, because it's all solo artists there. Right. But I were like, oh, yes, that's very similar to this. And maybe uh Ben I'm folds real, a
3: little bit, maybe, because he's got. I don't really hear any
1: Elliott Smith or Bell and Sebastian yeah. in this, but. And Rufus Wainwright, I mean, maybe a song here and there, but. Yeah. Um, and that, I think that it's speaks a, a little like bit this. too. Yeah, it's. And even they're influenced by is interesting. Steely Dan, sure. Yep. The Bee Gees, Burt Bacharach, George yep. Gershwin. So there you go. Yeah. Um, uh, Marvin Gaye, Randy Newman, The Beach Boys, ABBA, uh, Love. Wow. Forever. Ch- that, that I had to think about that mm. one for a while. And Nick Drake. Mm. I mean, there's a theatrical nature to this,
3: right? Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so but like, lot not of as much bands. as
1: ABC and like. And orange juice, which I felt like there was more of the theatrical in both of those. No, but
3: bands. I, I don't mean and I don't mean theatrical, ones because those I think those other ones are a little bit more boisterous and like you know like big, if you will. Yeah. This is a little bit more subdued, but there's but there's a little bit of that subtle kind of theater, you know. Sparks. I don't know some like of the, the lyrics.
1: Do you see any of them in there? Like they—that's uh, uh, another bit we're about. I think yeah. more sparks.
2: theatrical. That more sparks are more theatrical. In this more,
1: yeah, absolutely.
2: I, yep. to, yeah. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Performative, but yeah, yeah, I, I can I can see that. Um, just just a little bit of postscript here. Um, they had a, a kind of a rushed album after this called "Protest Songs" that they uh, intended to release in '85, but it was actually delayed. Um, by CBS their label until 89 Um, and then their actual follow-up album came out in 88 titled from Langley Park to Memphis and it was their biggest success in the UK with the single king of rock and roll reaching number seven on the singles chart Uh, their fifth album Jordan the comeback came out in 1990 was again produced by Thomas Dolby and considered more accessible than their earlier albums so I'm interested to maybe see what that one sounds like After a five-year hiatus, they released an album titled Andromeda Heights in 97, and then uh, Wendy Smith left the band to pursue a career as a voice instructor. In 2001, the band was reduced to the Two Brothers, and they released a concept album on the American West titled The Gunmen and Other Stories. Um, Unsurprisingly, uh, it was critically acclaimed, but not commercially successful. And then Patty McAloon went solo, Um, And has continued to use the Prefab Sprout um, title in certain projects, uh, but due to health issues uh, involving deterioration of both vision and hearing, he's now makes it um, kind of uh, impractical or even impossible for other musicians to be involved. That's a quote. Mm. Um, Hmm. But he remains fond and grateful of all of his former bandmates. So he's still alive, but... um, maybe not uh, doing as well health-wise and uh, bands not in what it was. So kind of an interesting short-lived career, I would say, overall, and mm-hmm. kind of an interesting well, idiosyncratic
1: band. Interestingly, it looks like the people that really like this band find the lyrics to be really excellent. Like that they're – even all yeah. music, it's interesting. They say that the lyrics are witty and inventive and explore human weakness with cynical insight and sarcastic flair, although – Two sentences later, I think it's interesting they say, at times perhaps the lyrics are too trenchant for their own good and the pretensions get the better of him, which probably describes my take on it. Like, what is this? It's word salad. You know what I mean? And so it's just interesting that it can be like, it's great and also like, but you may also view it this way. So I'm sure when I was saying <laughs> yeah. the lyrics are kind of nothing, I'm sure there's people that are just infuriated by that. But I, I yeah, I found them to be kind of just... just a little mm. word salady and yeah. about it's like that type of thing i don't like where it seems like it's saying a lot but it doesn't to me say anything because it's too non-specific so that was kind of how i found the lyrics so mm. yeah. um i think yeah, i think i'm a slight thumbs down on this album um mm. if i were doing it i think you guys were a little higher on it than i was
2: yeah i'm a thumbs up but like mm-hmm. with uh a... Like shrug emoji afterwards or something. I don't know. caveat or no <laughs> yeah. caveat, just the shrug
3: instead. Sometimes it's hard just to pin an album on a thumbs up in the middle or in the or down. You know, there's yeah. A, there's a lot of there's a lot of in betweens in there, but
1: I, I love uh, doing yeah. albums like this though because I do think it makes our palette. It's the difference between just having a standard palette or even like a good palette for one genre and not others. I think this is the stuff that gives us a richness of the palette. Like who would have thought that we could be like, well, you know, it's sort of similar to. <laughs> abc yeah. but it's got elements of orange juice in it. it's like you know a year ago i like to think i'm relatively yeah, right worldly but we couldn't have done that now it's like oh you know just on the fringes i hear bits and pieces which is i think cool i don't know how you guys feel about it but that was a little bit of what i was going for in this podcast to yeah I you think know
2: when we come across an album that we can't pin down easily is it's yeah. kind of doesn't happen too often but when it does it we always kind of seem to have good conversations about it's it, trying to thing. figure it out. It's exciting. Yeah. Even if I
1: don't love the album, it's still exciting because yeah. I feel like growth. And yeah. uh, and also, I, I love when people weigh in on these albums in the comments on YouTube and stuff to kind of say, like, here's a little bit of added color or context for mm-hmm. it, which I think helps. Um, yeah. So so feel free to add added color or context <laughs> yes. if you're listening to this.
2: Yep. It okay. probably will become one of our most viewed YouTube clips. <laughs> yeah, it's always the random ones
3: that hit. That, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, so um, uh, anger. I don't know what the prefab sprout uh, fans are <laughs> we like. We are uh, not you know, Jody Mitchell off- fans that get all. No. Eighties. Eighties responders
1: on these things are decidedly non-negative. Like there will be people that if we don't like an album will express disappointment, but we haven't had anybody who's like you're a freaking idiot or anything. If anything, yeah. people are like, let me explain what this album meant to me, or the context that might help. So I've been highly impressed by um the eighties, the Gen Xers, right? The, yeah. the Gen old Xers? Gen Xers the yeah. The old Gen Xers or 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 late boomers, right? They they bring a different vibe. They they don't seem to have like the the anger if you don't see it their way as much. So it's been a, it's been mm. very interesting to hear the take. So I, yeah. I welcome feedback. So even if you want to yell at us. So <laughs> okay and that takes us to the end of the episode. Um, next week, I know I, I jumped ahead last week, but uh, or two weeks ago. We are going to go back to Cold List and Hot Takes, right, Matt, mm-hmm. yep, this week? we are. And yes. uh, I know you did a little bit of shifting of the list, so I'm it's curious a slight one, hear.
3: Just to make sure we got mm-hmm. all the albums from 1985, because we're, we're still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so six records next week, including The, the Smiths with Meat is Murder, mm-hmm. uh, The Blasters with their album Hard Line, The okay. Cult, with love the Cure. Another
1: band that i always hear about but i don't feel i know their stuff as much Call- as i should mm-hmm. yeah i
3: don't i, can't I say don't that. Know, I know them yeah. i know fire woman yeah that's but that i don't think that's on that record um, the cure with the head on the door so we're this is is this the third or fourth time we're doing the cure it's, it's, well it's, it
1: depends it's... on if we count when you did the wrong Yeah, <laughs> but i screwed up because they could be the, <laughs> One, the fourth two, three, or four really the i think third, it's four yeah. Yeah. um and no, it's we're three doing... proper but four in terms of I had to listen to another album to stay yeah. current with Oops. you so
3: sorry mm-hmm. uh the fall with this nation's saving grace there is and... a
1: commenter in, in there's a commenter who comments on many of our clips I want to do a shout out who has been asking for months for us to do that album. So oh. I am interested to be able to finally do that one. Okay. Because I said it's coming. Don't worry. It's coming. Well, there you and go. Now it
3: finally yep. I mm-hmm. think
2: it was on that list of best post punk albums also mm-hmm. that I found
3: a while back too. Like was it on post punk flashcards too, John? Yes, it is. And I, I
1: said you know, we are gonna give it an honest listen, for better or worse. So I just don't wanna if we hate it, I don't wanna break your heart, but we're not gonna edit it just because you've requested it. You know, it's yeah. gonna it's gonna be a true listen. So he's excited yeah. about that. So I just cool.
3: want to throw that out there. Mm-hmm. One for the fans. Um yeah. and uh finally the replacements again with their album, mm-hmm. Tim.
1: Wow, great. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah, we are so we, we are yeah, full re- into like eighties like I imagine this week is like what if you were listening to like an eighties college radio station, I feel like this this would be your week in 1985, yeah. college radio DJ. Yeah, some,
3: some big artists, and then who the heck? are The Blasters, The Fall? Don't really the Blasters, know I
1: it, must so. admit that I don't know anything about them. The yeah. Colt and The Fall have long been acts that I feel like I should know better than I do. And, uh, I mean, I know The Replacements album super well. I know The Cure album super well. Um, so, I mean, those are going to be semi-familiar for me. So, mm-hmm. But always good to listen. To. It's been a long time since I've listened to That Cure album, so I'm curious to hear it again. No. yeah and the blasters and the have, album, I think I they're
2: something. an LA band because they've come up a lot in like talking researching other bands I've referenced them oh so. okay um, especially with like uh, double nickels on the dime I think they mm-hmm. came up then or maybe oh, like so the descendants pocket. or something I don't know we're gonna see um, what they fall into but
1: okay you know, I'm gonna give them a, a true cold listen with having no context of them so I can be yeah
3: potentially oh they surprised. look like they're a band that's not on Spotify crap <laughs> I hate that. I gotta go That's to what YouTube's days. for. That's what YouTube's <laughs>
1: yeah. for. So, yeah, I think the only albums I can remember at the time that were not on Spotify that we covered were certainly Trout Mask Replica, which now is. Um, the DBs. The DBs, right? They were, yes, they were only on YouTube. and I think there was one Parliament. other one. Funkadelic, right? It yep. might have been Parliament. Right. Yep. One of the yep. Parliament. Yes, X-Ray the Funkadelic Specs, that was, that was
3: on Spotify. X-Ray that was Specs, on, yep.
1: correct, was not. Yep. So there's a few that we've had to dig for alternate things, so. Good polls, guys. Yeah, yeah. So, But, uh, yeah, I think that's a great place to stop. So um, we will see you in a week's time. Uh, or if you're listening to this weeks later, dig into the episode. <laughs> we record it directly after this. It will be cold listen hot take 12, I believe. Uh, just look for the one that follows this one and follow is, along uh, with us. It is 15. 15. <laughs> wow, okay. That, that got away from us. So, well, anyway. For uh, Josh and Matt, this is John. Uh, Take care of yourself, and we will uh, hopefully see you soon. Combing the Stacks can be found on 13 different platforms. Viewer feedback can be sent to combingthestacks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at CombingThe, and on YouTube by searching for Combing the Stacks and throwing us a follow.